This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Thursday morning and... To the people of Chicago, congratulations. Wow. I am so tired. Did you stay up late and watch it? I watched every minute of it. Jeffrey couldn't get enough. Oh, did you watch it, Terry? I had it split screen for a while with some other stuff. Oh, unbelievable. Uh, extra innings, rain delay, Cubs win in the tenth inning. What was the final score? Eight to seven. Oh man, they were winning five to one. Yep, they had it. That was crazy. Oh Cleveland, holy cow, they played great. Losers. Well, two of their runs were scored <laughs> off of a wild pitch. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't think I've ever seen two runs off of a wild pitch. Well, and uh, let me make sure. It was it the was it Chapman? The wild pitch off. Uh, no, it was Lester. It was Lester. Can you imagine having a wild pitch off of a 102 mile an hour fastball? Off if, if, if it were Chapman. No. Lester did great. They did great. They did great. But they did score three runs off of Chapman. Oh, I know. He had a breakdown. How cool! That what a great game. I I want. I love baseball again. Oh, it's over. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> Did you see Bill Murray? He seemed happy. Yeah, well, that was pretty cool because there's probably not a bigger fan of baseball than Bill Murray and the Cubs. John Cusack looked really into the game. He, I don't like watching the stars. Yeah. It's it's like, at least I don't know if Fox did it or not. Usually they go, "Hey, here's the stars of our upcoming sh- uh, sitcom yeah. sitting down the third base. How'd they get there?" That's they crazy. Didn't, they didn't do that. Good. I hate that. Not to add insult to injury, but they did have an ace up their sleeve. What? I don't know. It could be a tough road to hoe. Let's just clean the slate and I feel like this is leading into something. No. No? No. All right. Just wanted to check. Just against all odds. Possibly the real hero of last night is the general manager, Theo Epstein. He's uh, he's yeah. And by the way, very calm man. Turns around Boston. Yeah. Several years ago. It's yeah. their eighty six year drought. But I thought then that turns would... around the Cubs. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, he's the guy that he's comes guy. in, makes the trades, brings the people in, puts the team together. Against all odds. You know? But you know what? The way I think of it is all's well that ends well. Hmm. Are you still talking to us? Yeah. Okay. It's a cliche day. Ah. I felt like you were leading us being the horse to, the to a certain place, which would be water. No, I was just giving you a ballpark figure. Gotcha. Probably yeah. shouldn't have given him all those yeah. cliches yesterday. Yeah. Those are a bit played out. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that um, your bark is worse than her bite? That sounds weird. It depends. Anyway, I guess I'm barking at the wrong tree. Yeah. Um, cliche day. So today's the day you can get away with as many cliches as you'd like. In fact, I found a great site, uh, Be a Better Writer, where you can find 681 cliches. To avoid. And I challenge you to use all of them today. <laughs> the, the point is to avoid them. That's what, Yeah, but today we're going to use them. Cliches are as American as apple pie. Mm. Know what I mean? 
This is going to continue all day. All day long. Just a public service warning. It, it's, uh, it is cliche day, so celebrate cliches. Use them as much as you can today. It's also sandwich day. Mm. Here comes the hoagie man. Hoagie fest is here again. Up in the sky, he'll be here soon. Floating into town in his hoagie balloon. I love hoagie man song. Couldn't you just listen to this for minutes? Seconds. And that's enough. There we go. <laughs> what a great uh, day. Um, I, I am very tired, though, because I don't stay up that late, usually. I mean, it was well past 9. It went almost to 11. It did. It was horrible. Um, but we, here's the deal. Have you ever needed to go to the, uh, the emergency room or had something happen and then you didn't know where to go? So do you go to the urgent care or do you go to the emergency room? Or do you go to your doctor? You just wait the next yeah, day, you call wait, your doctor. Yeah. You don't want to go to the emergency room because that's expensive. Yep. Do we call an ambulance? That's even more expensive. <laughs> totally. Found out that if you call for an ambulance, they show up, treat you on site, and leave – no charge. Yeah, no. It's the transportation. It's the transportation that's the charge. Yeah. I thought there was going to be no. some charge for the, I used the to medical do that. attention. I used to be an EMT. Yeah. We used to, we did everything we could to get you in the ambulance. I had my sister in law. <laughs> yeah. Diabetic coma almost. Ah. I'm sitting there in the apartment by myself and I'm like, do I pick my sister in law up, throw her over my shoulder? Yeah. And take her to the hospital. Well, if you love her, you do. Do we call an ambulance like our mother kept telling me to do? It's like you were the big man on campus. Or do I wait for my wife to drive from her job all the way down uh, here to the apartment so we can drive her over? Because I need to help getting her out because, again. What did you do? What did you do? What did you do? We waited. She's okay. You waited? Yeah. She could have died. Well, I had to get someone to open the apartment, too. Oh, okay. She was inside. <sighs> you know what it was? Is you were you were caught in, you know. It's this dilemma we're talking about. You were caught about. in the crossfire. So what do you do, Matt? It's a can of worms. You are a doctor. Yeah. You break the window. You save your sister-in-law. Yep. You... Actually, I got in the apartment, and then I was going to wait, so I grabbed her phone and took pictures of her while she was in this kind of coma state. That's kind of creepy. Yeah, so just so she had some sort of record yeah, of that's because that's what they want to remember. <laughs> I, go, I saved it for you. I thought yeah. maybe you were using it as collateral. Well, I was thinking, what can I do for blackmail? But <laughs> yeah. Anyway, today we will be talking about where what you're supposed to do. Now that health care is so abundant for everybody, it's everywhere, everyone's making a dime on it, there are some protocol. There's, some, there's certain areas, places you should go for certain things. We'll cut through some of that with our guest. Um, he wrote an article on how complicated this is. And I'll give you a really good example sometime in the near future in the next few minutes. So you're going to give us your two cents. I will give you my two cents. I mean, I know it's a burning question, and I don't want to burst anyone's bubble. Mm. But uh, cliches all day. Lucky. Hey, um, we'll get to all that fun, plus other information, some of which you might even need to know. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen, find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? Donald Trump has become so confident about his chances of winning the presidency that he now concerned his followers that he might become complacent and not show up to the polls next Tuesday. When he told the crowd he's way up in the Florida polls, Trump stopped himself. I shouldn't say that because I want you to go vote, he said. Okay, ready? We're going to pretend we're down. According to major polls, Trump and Clinton are tied in Florida. 
Hillary Clinton's path to victory in the battleground states of Pennsylvania, Florida, Nevada, and Arizona are exceptionally slim in the new CNN ORC polls released Wednesday. The polls were taken from October 27th to November 1st, right in the midst of the unfolding drama over the FBI director James Comey's announcement that more emails had been found that may be pertinent to the Clinton email investigation. Clinton leads in Pennsylvania by just four points among likely voters, 48% to 44%. In Florida, Clinton barely leads Trump, 49 to 47%. Trump has taken the lead in Nevada, 49% to 43%. In Arizona, Trump is ahead by five points. President Barack Obama said the U.S. government is examining ways to reroute an oil pipeline in North Dakota as it addresses concerns raised by Native American tribes protesting against its construction. Obama's comments late on Tuesday were his first to directly address the escalating clashes between the local authorities and protesters over the $3.8 billion Dakota Access Pipeline project. On Wednesday, protesters confronted law enforcement near the proposed pipeline location. And finally, in yes. your Samsung news, Ooh. a Samsung user whose Galaxy Note 7 exploded and charred his laptop made his replacement phone also explode. But this time he used a hammer. Wow. Hugh Renji captured video September 26th of his Samsung Galaxy Note overheating and melting while on onto his keyboard of his MacBook, causing char damage to the laptop. Renji, who said Samsung denied him a refund, obtained a new Galaxy Note 7 and decided to see how difficult it would be to cause the phone's battery to explode like his first one. The video shows Renji placing a piece of wood over the phone and striking the wood with a hammer a few times before switching to direct hammer strikes on the phone. Two direct strikes strikes is all it took to cause the phone to burst. Two and strikes, you're out. And spit flames in all directions. Wow. The fire burns in a matter of seconds, leaving the device completely destroyed. So we're hitting things with hammers, and we're like, wow, look, it See, exploded. This is another pe- just people following Hillary you know Clinton. Do you know what? Every cloud has a team. silver lining. Every cloud has a silver lining, and we mm-hmm. can look at this as... Um, you can start a fire from this. You're yeah. out in the wilderness and you are about to die. Mm-hmm. You have your Samsung That's right. Galaxy Note Who 7. Who says you don't have a fire starter? It's survival right there. All you got to do go. is surf the web. <laughs> Just remember that dark always comes before the dawn. Yeah. When you have lemons, make lemonade. Yeah. You've got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. Ah, yes. You know, I've noticed that really when it comes to Samsung, the devil is in the details. Mm. It's not the Samsung 7. It's the Samsung 7 Note. Mm. Can we play devil's advocate for a minute? Sure. Okay. Let me get out my iPhone. It's it's a game on my phone. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Sadie. Glad you guys are having fun with this. Just to remind everybody, keep I, you up to date, it's cliche day. So today we will be using as many cliches distinct as we can. second thoughts when I sent that to you. Well, I appreciate it. It's like, ah, this is going to get yeah. out of control. This is right up Matt's alley. Anyway, uh, down by the, the way, hatch. By the way, yeah, a Cubs World Series victory, yep. who do you think it benefits? Trump or Clinton? Well, Clinton. Evan McMullen. Clinton is no. from Illinois. Wasn't she originally? Yeah, she's apparently the world's biggest. Before Cubs she fan. dropped the uh, Hillary. Unless she's in New Rodham. York and then she has a Yankees hat on. Yeah. Unless she's near mm-hmm. the Met Stadium. And, you know, well, unless she's from Arkansas, then she's yeah. got a southern twang. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway. Well, as. as who, who is it? Who uh, according to the stuff benefit. I found, um, the last eight times a World Series went to a Game 7 in a presidential year. Okay. Right? Yeah. The AL team wins, White House goes to the GOP. When the NL team wins, it goes to the Dems. 
So just, that's just what's happened. It not, doesn't mean not anything. Not that both of them are connected in any way, but that's been the trend. <laughs> well, that's a crazy trend. Crazy trend. Uh, the 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 it's getting crazy. These numbers are starting to scare people. Yes. He, some people are thinking Trump Trump could win. I don't know. Yesterday, uh, what, this morning, New York Times CBS poll has uh, – it's tightening, but Clinton still has the lead. Well, yeah. She should. 45 to 42 in a uh, Reuters poll. It's 45-39 Clinton. So, See, I mean, both – those are those are some polls showing the other way. The, the key is you, you need the electoral college, right? Well, that's the only thing that matters. In the end. I think there's always been a parallel between the World Series and this election. What? The Cubs were always going to win. They were always on top throughout the entire year, and in the end, they won. Really? Yeah. So I think the same will be true of Hillary. She was always going to win. Yeah. I think I I really think she will win. Th- then be indicted. <laughs> e- no, immediately. That's, that's that's what I've always well. And even by the way, she may not even be indicted, but I don't know. She, she will be pros- She will be. Persecuted and prosecuted for four years. I don't know if she years. gets off the inauguration stand before, like a Jason Chaffetz steps in with the documents of uh, yeah. impeachment. Well, as part of her, as part of her um, swearing in, <laughs> do you promise to faithfully uphold the office? Yes, and testify. Do you promise to tell the whole truth and nothing <laughs> but the truth? So get them all done. Get yes. taken care of. Yeah, that's so sad. Last night, did you see the ads? The both yes. candidates had. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Every time I saw one, I'm like, seriously, could you stay out of one thing this year? But no, they— Don't ruin it. Clinton had four and Trump had three. Mm-hmm. And the NRA had one, so Trump actually had four. Yeah, four, yeah. Yeah, so—and uh, NBC just decided to just eject the entire night's lineup and put in reruns, not even compete. They're like—they're not even going to—yeah, why? And ABC was stuck because they had the Country Music Awards. You just can't cancel that. So they ran against the World Series. So they probably <sighs> struggled. <laughs> it's That right there was the last huge television viewing audience of the year before the election. Mm. So if you want to get your ads in front of the entire that country, was it. that was your That time. was your shot. Do you but have the numbers on the, the World Series? Not yet. I'm waiting on the ratings. Gotcha. They're thinking there'd be around 30 million or more, you know, more like what the presidential elections were yeah. showing. So just hey, a huge audience. Real quick, explain uh, Brexit because okay. this whole f- chaos around times. Brexit now means – it now may all not mean anything. From what I can tell, the prime minister thought she had the authority to invoke Brexit, which means start the two-year process right. of getting out of the European yeah. Union. Per, hot, per the, the vote. Right. Per the vote of the people. Of the people. Which is a non-binding vote. It was basically a public opinion poll. And right. So <laughs> They didn't know that they – it wasn't really a vote. It was just a poll. They were like, do you want it? It could have been a survey monkey. Yeah, absolutely. So now the high court in England has come out and said that the prime minister doesn't have the authority to do that. It actually has to go to parliament who was, I believe, against the whole yeah, concept not, to begin yeah, with. Yeah, not fully behind so it. So now they have to go to parliament and get a vote – to be able to actually begin this process. And now the, the government's going to challenge it and it's going to go through court some more. And so it could now not happen. It could now, this whole Brexit thing, 
could just not happen whatsoever. Which is what you want in the union is an, is one of the largest contributing countries right. having the majority or a certain percentage of the people not wanting to be a they part of it. They just signed a major trade deal with Canada. Oh boy. And so I don't know if that isn't if that has to be reworked now that maybe the, you know, the Brexit doesn't happen, but yeah, so the the whole lead up to this Brexit thing and the fallout from it's probably going to end up in the courts for quite a while. Isn't that interesting? So Brexit is driving the UK into the courts. And uh, either Trump or Hillary will drive America into the courts. Right. Now, apparently the prime minister has a thing called royal prerogative. Mm-hmm. And they get – meaning they feel as – you know, I'm elected as the leader of the government so I can make decisions. But they call it royal prerogative. Right, right. So maybe you can incorporate that into your day-to-day life. I thought I had royal prerogative uh-huh. and then I brought it to you guys and you blew that up. I didn't really feel like it. Hey, let's not blow this out of proportion, Matt. Thank you. You know what? It is just part of the facts of life. Some of us have fair weather friends. You know, we're either feast or famine, whatever. Anyway, cliche day all day. More cliches. I'm only to the I'm only to the F's. I've only gotten that far on the list. Up next we'll be talking about where do you go when you suddenly need health care? Acute care. Do you go to the emergency room? We'll we'll give you some insight on that one. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if you get a runny nose or you suddenly don't feel very well, where do you go to get medical help? Do you go to a health care center? Do you go to an urgent care, a clinic? Do you just call your, you know, your general practitioner? Where are you supposed to go? Well, depending on the symptoms and the time of day, it's a very confusing decision to make. And so here to speak with us about the current healthcare system is Professor Keith Coker, who is a, an emergency physician and a, a health services researcher. He's here today to walk us through some of the chaos that comes when it comes to getting health care in an acute form. We appreciate you being here, Dr. Coker. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you asking me to, to join your show, and I agree, it can be chaotic. You know, a crazy situation. I had a son playing football, fell, broke his arm uh, during practice. We, the parents, weren't there, so they called an ambulance, the fire department. <laughs> Two police cars mm-hmm. showed up. They took him, transported him to a, a smaller hospital um, where we then spent thousands of dollars to be diagnosed with a broken arm, which, by the way, was already obvious. And then they couldn't do anything for him because they didn't have the equipment to set the to set it using live imaging or I don't know. I don't remember some imaging device. So then they sent we sent him. We took him the next day to another hospital uh, a child children's hospital where they took care of it, and I'm thinking, why didn't we do that the night before? We could have taken him to the, you know, the children's hospital. Right. And so it when I when I heard this topic, I'm thinking, yeah, we don't know where to go anymore. Yeah, and this is an example that you relate where you actually know you need care in like an ER, <laughs> right? You know, think about a situation where a patient or family is not sure where to turn. Mm. Um, and it's less less obvious, and, and certainly your pathway through the system was convoluted. Um, but you know, sometimes when you're not even sure where to turn to begin with, it's even 
more challenging. Mm. And, and it could, I mean, some people I know their first thought is just go to the ER. But that also is sometimes that's overkill, right? That's and that becomes incredibly expensive. And others are maybe under hitting it and they might just be going to a local clinic when they may be having a heart issue. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that really is the realities um, of how healthcare is delivered for these situations um, where you generally use the term acute care, but sort of care for situations that are unexpected or unscheduled. Um, and sometimes as a patient, um, you're exactly right. You're not sure. Um, you're not sure if this is a problem that is minor and maybe gets better on its own or is minor enough that you can afford to wait for a few days um, or, or if it's serious. Um, and so you're right. Um, you know, I think for me, what I, what I find really troubling is when patients choose based on uh, their own internal punished afterwards for being deemed to choose unwisely or inappropriately or incorrectly. Um, it's just really not fair. Mm. No, I, I agree. And and I guess help us with this, because when um, when patients are deciding where to go, you know, as a doctor, you you kind of know how to how to triage, you know how to decide that. But to walk us through what are the different factors that make up a how how to make these decisions but but also that complicate the decision as well as to where we need to go yeah i'll do my best um i mean i i think fundamentally one of the challenges here is that everybody's local community is different and your options are driven so much by the resources that are in your immediate surroundings so for example you know going back to to your story about your son um, it sounds like the children's hospital was quite a distance away mm-hmm. versus, you know, the local uh, ER. Um, but it's even more than that. <clears throat> you know, urgent cares are different. Uh, availability of your own general practitioner or primary care physician um, may, may be hit or miss. Um, and, and that's what's really challenging is you have this fractured system. You have lots of potential possibilities. Uh, not all of them are open to you. Um, and how do you choose? And I think, um, you know, the, the guidance that, that typically is given is um, certainly your own physician who knows you well, your own clinician um, can, can be the, the first stop for many things. Um, I think there are certainly other cases where it's pretty obvious that you need to be seen in, in something like an emergency department. Um, uh, but then there's a lot of gray. Um, and what I, what I find the hardest is that most of the time I feel like what's lost is the, the patient or family's perspective in all this. Um, and at the end of the day, what, what, what we want, what patients want is how, how to receive care where they get reassurance, they get treatment, um, and and that's timely, and that's really hard um, for us to deliver as a healthcare system right now. I mean, I, and I guess that's that's it, isn't it? It's the healthcare system seems almost at odds with each other or itself. The the patient obviously is supposed to be the center, the kind of the hub. It seems like of the healthcare system, except there is obviously competition. 
And then, like you were talking about, accessibility, plus we have in the system and out of the system, and the hospital closest to you may not be even in your system, and yet if you need emergent care, <laughs> where else do you go? You Anyway, it's, it, it, it almost yep. seems like then we're scared. We're afraid to get the urgent care in the f- best place possible just, just simply because we can't pay for it because it's not in my system. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think, um, you know, it's hard to talk about um, health care changes these days because it gets so political so quickly. Um, but I do feel like people um, are in earnest trying to reform the system in a way uh, that drives improvements in care, um, higher quality, better cost effectiveness. Um, but one of the things that's been lost um, over the last decade or so of this work is is how do we promote timeliness as, as, a, as a characteristic that is important um, as we think about changing healthcare to do better. Hmm. Um, and I do think it requires system thinking, um, going back to some of what you're saying. Um, I think it's hard for an individual clinician or clinic to um, reliably provide the kind of services that allow patients to be seen in a timely way for these problems that are you know, unanticipated, it's hard to schedule for them. Um, and it requires thinking beyond just a single office. Um, you have to think about a local system, a collection of clinics, a collection of hospitals. Um, and you're right, it can spiral into competition, um, which can be barriers to some of this, some of the solutions to this. Um, but, I, but I think we, we need to bring to the forefront um, the the need, I think, for patients and families to receive timely care. And as I said, I feel like that's been lost in much of the conversation. I think um, I've seen, I mean, ju- just a logistical issue, too, is as a, as a patient, uh, when I, every time I kind of go from a different provider to a different provider to a different provider, I feel like every time I arrive, I'm starting over. <laughs> And I have to create a, a completely new record set where how powerful could it be if I could carry my records with me? If everywhere I was, my record set was and any physician could plug into that and gather my history quickly. And I mean, I guess that's that's another thing that probably impacts timeliness, too, because then you sit there f- filling out the forms when you could just be you know, informing the doctor immediately. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, I think one of the realities, too, about um, caring for these situations, acute care, and probably even more broadly than that, is that uh, we we have um, a system of care that's fractured. And so things like information exchange um, doesn't happen. Um, so if you go to an urgent care and then you follow up after that visit with your own doctor, um, there's there's no way to link those records. Your own doctor doesn't know what happened in that urgent care. Um, and <clears throat> I, I, there there are definitely efforts to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the hopes is as that changes, uh, that things like um, patient safety and cost, but also I would imagine, like you were suggesting, timeliness can improve as well uh, as we improve our ability to uh, receive and exchange vital health care information quickly. Yeah, when I go get a car, 
I fill out one form and everybody knows my credit history. Um, it right. seems like I should be able to go to any hospital, give them two or three numbers and everybody, I mean, not everybody, but everybody with access should be able to, you know, legitimately, legally, safely access my records and then in, and then add to the record. Absolutely. And, it, you know, I can speak directly from, you know, my line of work, working in an ER. It makes a big difference. If I um, have no experience or history with a patient or a patient doesn't have um, a history with our hospital or system, it's hard to get up to speed quickly and rapidly, mm-hmm. particularly in time-sensitive situations where that kind of information can really make a big difference. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. I mean, I because I was an EMT on an ambulance, and I know oh, yeah. how little information <laughs> I could give you about what right. just happened to this person. <laughs> and so then I I can't imagine you trying to solve a problem like, is this person having an allergic reaction or is it because right. they're on these three meds? I mean, right. it's – it, it really it leaves us hanging. Let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Keith Coker. He is an assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Michigan. Also is the author of a, a wonderful article we found from theconversation.com, A Fractured System. Where do you go when you suddenly need health care? When we come back, Dr. Coker will be giving us some solutions, what we should be doing, what we can do as patients to make sure that we... We, we hopefully make more effective decisions, but also that we keep our, our uh, physicians informed um, and, and have a better shot of, of giving us the service that we need. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and healthier lives. We'll be right back. friends to the Matt Townsend show. You know, where do you go when you're not feeling well and uh, you need help immediately, quickly? Do you have a plan? Do you know how to decide whether you just go to the urgent care next to your, uh, you know, next to your supermarket? Do you go to the clinic where you go see your physician or do you just head straight to the emergency room? How do you make those decisions? And especially in such a fractured uh, system as we have today in the healthcare world, Joining us on the phone is Dr. Keith Coker. Dr. Coker is an emergency physician and health services researcher. He's an assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Michigan and is the author of um, an article, A Fractured System, Where Do You Go When You Suddenly Need Health Care? Dr. Coker, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure to be here, yeah. So what? where do we go? So, I mean, I guess it depends on, I mean, a bunch of factors, time, time of day, you know, type of injury, um, symptoms that you're suffering from. But, I mean, is it something that we should we should probably sit down and think through right now before we have a, an illness or an injury? It seems like we should probably have a plan made. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I think what you pointed out is right. One of the challenges here is it's a huge spectrum of problems yeah. that you could be dealing with from something that, it's minor and will just go away to something really life-threatening. could happen at any hour of the day, any day of the year. Um, and I think you're right. I think it begins with doing just a little bit of investment in thinking about um, where I would turn, 
um, given a certain scenario. Um, I think your own physician uh, or clinician uh, should be a resource here. Um, and, you know, it may be worth um, at the next appointment that you have for whatever problem um, asking uh, what happens, uh, you know, if I were to have a problem that I need some help with, uh, do I go to the office and um, is there um, uh, an urgent care that's affiliated with your, your practice um, that I, I might have the option of seeing? Is there a hospital that you would recommend going to um, an ER for? Um, I, I think spending a little bit of time and thinking about it um, is uh, the advice I'd provide. Yeah. I, in fact, I was passing a kidney stone, and yeah. I thought, I, I'll just get to my hospital. I know where I need to go. I know where I'm covered. And it was so bad that I'm like, take me anywhere. Take me to the closest place. And again, right. it was out of it was out of our, um, whatever we call it, out of our system. Network. And then I ended yeah. up paying out of pocket, and yeah. it was a nightmare. But problem we fix the problem but in the end i guess the you like you're saying you can't always know but you know you might you might have some peace of mind knowing that you have some plans i think that's right and um and you're you know the person that you see on a regular basis um you know general practitioner primary care doctor clinician um they are definitely a resource um and for the most part um they can also provide some triage for you. So if you're to call um, with a set of problems uh, that you can describe over the phone, they can give you some advice about that. Um, I will say one of the challenges in all this is, of course, um, the, from, and this is sort of my perspective as an ER doctor, but the default position is oftentimes like go to the ER. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's totally appropriate and correct. Um, but sometimes there may be some other options uh, that are just not on the table. Um, uh, going back to the problem where we just aren't thinking about timeliness as being important. We haven't created systems that provide capacity uh, to take care of patients um, in timely ways. Uh, and so, um, you know, the ER is oftentimes a, a very appropriate uh, solution, but it's also kind of like the nuclear option. Um, and, and there very well may be other ways to, to manage a problem that may not require uh, the ER per se. Are, are there ways that we as patients could maybe apply more pressure on the system um, or, or like more suggestions? Because, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Sometimes the last thing you want to do is go and sit there be, and have yeah. to wait for 50 minutes as everyone's hacking and sick around you, is is there is there any? I mean, I mean, I'm sure people give feedback, but anything else we can just do as, I guess, really the center of the system. Yeah, um, and I think that's a great question. Um, it's daunting to think about how do I change a system uh, that has roots that go so, you know so deep in the way that things are structured. Um, but I probably. Starting small with, again, um, next time you're at your doctor's office, um, just asking about what what the options are um, and maybe pushing a little bit and thinking about, okay, well, um, you know, if I um, 
injured my ankle and I wasn't sure what the problem was. Was it broken or just sprained? Like, is this something you could take care of Mm. um, if I were to call here? Or, you know, if I had a a cold that was lingering, like generally how quickly could you get, could you fit me in um, to the schedule? Um, At least feeling that out a little bit will provide you in those moments uh, where a problem arises some sense of your options. And know, I guess, know, know what, um, understand the system. I mean, it's it's funny. A lot of us are a part of these healthcare systems, and we don't know what they're offering. But they they probably offer a, a variety of other benefits or services, like nutritionists or other things that we that are at our disposal as well that we don't even know we're using. We just probably need to learn. You know, you're a member of a certain club. You might want to know what the club offers. Yeah, um, and I, I, I think that also applies to your uh, insurance comp- coverage and company. Right. Um, oftentimes, insurance companies will have um, some guidance around options, um, like local urgent cares, um, uh, and certain other other potential solutions. Um, and I will say, there's I think increasingly a lot of experimentation going on in the healthcare marketplace. Um, around how to better address um, these issues, again, in a timely way. Um, so, for example, uh, telehealth, um, there's a, really a lot of experimentation going on around um, are there ways to use um, uh, technology to, to effectively deliver this kind of service hmm. directly to the patient you know, in, yeah. at the point of care? Um, and it's it's still probably mostly in its infancy, um, but uh, we may see a lot of change in this area over the next few years. Well, how do you feel as an emergency room physician about WebMD and some of these diagnostic tools online? It seems um, like a lot of people might be bringing yeah. in their diagnosis. <laughs> there, there's some of that. I mean, they, they have their drawbacks. I mean, I, I think I would characterize it as a as a symptom of exactly the problem that we're describing yeah you know people don't people aren't sure what to do um they're not sure how to take uh how to uh interpret their symptoms is it a bad problem is it a um, no big deal problem and so they're they're turning to all kinds of resources that are quickly available to them um you know like webmd or a you know good old google search Mm -hmm. um and and it doesn't always provide the best advice, but I, again, I think it's it's something where I would, I would point to and say we can do better. There's there's a need here that we need to address better than what we're doing. Yeah, and overall too, it sounds like a lot of what your article talks about is the fact that it it needs to be turned back to the patient. It's about yeah. the patient. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I, um, and I feel like some of the motivation for my work was simply because. I encounter this on a regular basis as I work in the emergency department, um, and and I and it's not that people um, or policymakers and you know, administrators aren't thinking about this um, in at certain times, but um, when they do think about it, the the solutions are frequently considered from the perspective of um, yeah, how can we address this? But how do we address it in a way that also meets like the needs of my hospital or my insurance company or uh, my my office, um, and uh, and so the the patient family perspective 
um, tumbles down the list of priorities. Hmm. It's um, it, should you shop by price? I mean, it's, this is your health care, and it seems yeah. like some some people I know and just remember from my EMT days. Price isn't an option. Like they would call us to take an ambulance just to get the ride to the hospital. Um, yes. But but and some they only shop by price, um, so they don't. You know, they might even put off getting the health care they need because of the cost. So how yeah. do we how do we just balance? You know, our fear of you know being charged out of pocket, whatever our copays versus getting effective health care. Well, you you bring up a really challenging. Um, problem in general with uh, how we pay for healthcare right now. There's not a lot of price transparency. There's not a lot of ability to shop around based on price uh, or quality. Um, and you know, there there are definitely efforts to get that out uh, in the public's to the public's eye. Um, but that works really well with a problem where you know I need a hip replacement and and I'm going to shop around. I have the Luckily, right. you're shopping around a little bit to figure out what hospital I want to do it at or what surgeon I want to use. Um, it doesn't work as well, you know, when you're facing an emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so those kinds of solutions may not always apply to these situations. Um, that being said, um, you know, there are certainly some problems where you have uh, some time to think about it. Again, going back to this uh, ankle injury example. Um, and so... Um, you know, if you ended up needing some x-rays, um, I mean, you should be able to shop around on that. Yeah. You know, you should be able to know. Know the price. Um, it, yeah. If I, if I go to this urgent care, what is that price? If I go to this ER, what's that price? If I go to my doctor's office, what's that price? Um, uh, and it's, it, but it's confusing because it, it depends on your insurance coverage and, you know, all kinds of other factors. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I guess we're doing what we can. What, as we wrap up, Dr. Coker, what would you, what advice would you give us? What's the one thing that uh, we could do today to, to make sure we're ready, make sure we're prepared to handle whether it's acute care or just improve our overall health care? I think at the end of the day, um, I would just spend a little bit of time and think about it from your perspective, uh, what are your options in your local community? Uh, what are your options with um, with your own physician um, as a starting point? Um, because all care for these kind of situations is generally local. That's right. That's right. Great advice. Dr. Keith Coker, thank you so much for being with us and for your article. Again, people, you can go find the article at theconversation.com. A fractured system. Where do you go when you suddenly need health care? You know, it's one thing to blame President Obama for, you know, Affordable Care Act, but that's not the problem. That's not, you know, that's a portion of an issue. The issue is much more complicated. It is a fractured system, and it's a competitive system that wants to be collaborative and wants to help uh, with your health, but it's still your health. You've got to own it. You've got to take responsibility where you can. We will take a break, come back, wrap up hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, our goal is to help you live longer and lead healthier, happier lives. But uh, it's still your choice. We'll be back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So obviously, healthcare systems 
they're fractured. They're, and because they're going in so many different directions, it doesn't always mean that you, the consumer, will always get the best deal. Uh, the same is happening in another enormous industry, not as, not as important to your health. Though I believe it is. Well, I, for I, you, it may be. <laughs> I love TV. Yes. TV is a wonderful thing. I, I get great TV, enjoyment. TV, my friend. It, absolutely. <laughs> so for, for months, we've kind of been every once in a while talking about this idea of cutting the cord where you don't have a cable or mm-hmm. a satellite subscription. And that number keeps growing every like quarter. Like coop. Yeah, you, you just decide you're going to leave. Don't do that. We're not doing cliches that was all another cliche. day. Yeah. Oh, so, uh, you said cut the cord. Some recent numbers. Well, that's a cliche, but it's also a thing. Um, <laughs> for months, the numbers keep growing as people decide to not have a cable or satellite right. subscription. The number one, the most expensive channel you pay for if you have one of those is ESPN. Yeah. You pay around $7 a month for, and it, that, for one that one channel. channel right. Jeez. And and they saw a six hundred twenty one thousand dollars or thousand subscription loss last month. Apparently, wow, that's now not, their debate. They're 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 uh, protesting this. They want the Nielsen Media Company to go and pull their numbers again because they feel that number is too high. But still, <laughs> they're losing a massive number of of subscribers, and at seven dollars each. But they're losing subscribers because people are giving up cable. Yeah. Because they just need their internet, and then they can go watch Netflix or... Right. So everyone's trying to offer these other streaming options. Now, ESPN has what they're paying $1.9 billion a year to the NFL. They're paying $1.4 billion to the NBA, Man. $700 million to Major League Baseball, $608 million to college fo- for the college football playoff, $225 million to the uh, college football conference, the ACC, $190 million to the big... T- they need this money. Unbelievable. <laughs> they have massive contracts out to people. And it goes on. It says if this trend continues, they'll lose 86 million subscribers in 2017. And by 2021, they'll lose 74 million subscribers that year. That is... So, so the, they're dying. So the question... It looks like people aren't paying... For cable, and the, if the trend continues, yeah. what does that mean for cable TV? What does that mean for TV in general? Well, they, that means that they're going to have to find another way to get their hook in. Yeah, so they'll just charge you for their app, and you'll pay 12 bucks. But which would be worth it for the people that really want ESPN? Yeah, but that, that's the other problem is if you get cable and you don't want sports, you're still paying that right. exorbitant price Come for something on. you don't even want to watch. Like for me in the Animal Planet, I don't want it. I have it. Don't want it. Why do you hate animals? I just don't want to watch that channel. It gets your goat, doesn't it? Yeah. Man, he fell for that hook, line, and sinker. (laughs) Back to cliches again. That's so funny. Maybe if you don't like animals, maybe just go get a green thumb. Could be. That'd be on the HG channel. Yeah. Okay, hour number one. It's in the box. There we go. We're done. We'll be back next hour. Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, top of the morning to you. It's uh, hour number two of the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. And man, oh man, oh man. Still can't get over the Cubs' win last night. What a great, uh, great experience. I think that was for many. Uh, 
a few uh, in Cleveland wouldn't quite say that. But today we got a great show. Uh, it is Cliché Day, the day that we will get away with using all of the clichés that we possibly can, um, you know. It's it's been really fun for me teaching an old dog a new trick, and uh, so just know when we sneak one in, we're not trying to offend you. It's also Sandwich Day, which uh, you know your chance to celebrate your favorite sandwich, whether you like a little uh, you know a little cold cut, a little balagna, balabnia, you name it. Today's the day you can celebrate with that. Today we will also be um, focusing on you feeling overwhelmed, work, love, and play when no one has the time. How do you do that? How do you fit in your relationships and all of the other things you've got to get done? Well, what ends up happening is you start getting a little bit overwhelmed, and we will be bringing on an expert that will talk about what to do when you're having that sense that you just can't handle it anymore. So we'll get to all of that fun, plus uh, some incredible stories and an interview with a woman that has 400-plus grandchildren and descendants Holy cow. Wonderful in- interview with this incredible Turkish woman. Um, I think uh, I think it'll be enlightening as well. So stick with us on that. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen and the headline. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Anthony Weiner, estranged husband to Clinton aide Uma Abedin, has allegedly checked into a rehabilitation clinic for sex addiction. The Daily Mail Online reported on Wednesday. Weiner, whose numerous sexting scandals have effectively ended his political career, became the subject of new scrutiny last week after emails from Hillary Clinton's private server were found on Weiner's computer during an FBI investigation into Weiner's alleged activities. Senator Chuck Schumer has lost his confidence in FBI Director James Comey following Comey's controversial disclosure on Clinton-related emails 11 days before the election. I do not have confidence in him any longer, Schumer, a Democratic, told Bloomberg Politics. He described Comey's decision to notify Congress of the new email findings as appalling. To restore my faith, I am going to have to sit down and talk to him and get an explanation for why he did this, Schumer said. A hacker targeted at least 75 U.S. colleges stealing sensitive student data, U.S. Attorney's Office announced Wednesday. 29-year-old Jonathan Powell of Phoenix, Arizona, allegedly breached multiple colleges' computer networks and accessing accessed student email logs. He allegedly searched students' emails for personal photographs as well as sexually explicit messages. He has been charged with one count of computer fraud, punishable by up to five years in prison. The breach has been characterized as a wake-up call for universities to take measures against cyber attacks. And finally... What's up? um, We have a great story here about a lady who's a diamond in the rough. Um, Katrina Bookman... Sounds like another cliche. No, no, not at all. Uh, Katrina Bookman was stunned as she took a selfie with the screen of a slot machine at Resorts World Casino announcing that she had won a $42 million prize. I couldn't believe it, she told New York Daily News. My body went numb. Her disbelief turned to anger and confusion the next day when representatives from New York State Gaming Commission informed her that she was not entitled to her payout as the machine had malfunctioned and offered her a free steak dinner instead. What? The broken slot machine was taken in for repair after Bookman's incident and later placed back out on the floor. Bookman argued she should at least receive the machine's maximum payout of (sighs) $6,500. But she did not get that. So that was kind of a problem for her because... 
I would be really mad if I uh, had yeah. won $42 million and they said, they said sorry, um, <laughs> you only get a steak dinner. But what, what kind of steak was it? Was well, it a Trump steak? See, the most expensive steak I've ever heard of is like $700. Mm. So that's not even close to $42 million. Maybe they'll give you two. Yeah. <laughs> two steaks. Have one yeah. here and take one home. Not fair. Not fair. No. That, uh, it's the bait and switch. It is. That's it, horrible. It truly is. Well, thank you, Sadie. Hey, uh, did you hear this story? Oh, amazing. Um, experience i think uh, how many so i have one grandbaby okay i have six children and so i have let's see i have seven descendants what would you say about somebody that has 430 descendants unbelievable well a grandmother in southeastern turkey lays claim to the title of the world's greatest grandmother with more than 430 descendants According to the BBC, Sahe Tayurik has been married three times and has two children from her first marriage, five from her second. She lives with her youngest son and his family. The BBC had family members count how many children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren Sahe has three years ago, and they found out that three years ago she had 415 grandchildren. Now, I'm not sure how many that is today, they say. Um, So they went to find out. And tracking it all down, came up with the number five, or 430. She says, I can say with confidence that the last three years, at least another 15 grandchildren have been born, and a total number exceeds 430. Sahi's oldest son is 90, and Samal, her youngest, is 60 years old. Her oldest grandson is 70, and the youngest is two years old. So she has grandchildren from 70 years old to two years old. And, I mean, we thought, how great is this? All of this loving family in one incredible place. So they gathered together, and, they've, uh, and we've asked if we could call during this gathering and have a chance to talk to Sahe and, and see what it's like to have 430 descendants. So we've got her on the phone. Sahe Tayurik, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank <laughs> Uh, no, no, Sahe, I didn't say Pearl Jam. Welcome to the program. Uh, yes, I don't care for that group too much, you know, but some of my grandkids are in love with Eddie Vedder. You know, he was at the World Series last night. Are you surprised I know them? Yeah. I didn't think an old woman like this would be so bad after that. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know that you would love Eddie Vedder. Yeah, he he's quite in love with the, the Cubs. So he was at the game last night. Wow, it's it's kind of hard to hear you, um, Mrs. Tayurik. Now tell us about your 430 grandchildren. I can't even imagine having that many descendants. What's it like? Uh, you want to talk to Mike? Yes, he's right here. No, no, no. Which one, which one do you want? I have six Michael. No, no, you know, I no, I, I don't, I don't want to talk to Mike. I, I just, I just ask, what is that like? Uh, Mike, you not telling the cell phone, so just forget about it. 
I'm sorry, Doctor. Now, what was your question? You know what? Um, you know, it just sounds like you're really busy. <laughs> Got your hands full there, so we're we're gonna let you go, Sahi. Um, but thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you, Doctor. Oh, Mordecai, I'm going to take you over my knee. Oh wow! Wow! That. <laughs> That was, my heart is racing. That was, that was out of control. Man, Jeffrey, she, Sahi loves uh, the the group uh, Pearl Jam. Well, doesn't love Pearl Jam, loves Eddie Vedder. You know what was weird? Eddie Vedder was sitting next to Bonnie Hunt. Yeah. Can you picture the two of them together? Well, I did last night when I saw them. Oh, I see. So you got a a really good picture Mm -hmm. of them together. Okay. It was, it's not a great picture of them together. Um, uh, wow, what an interesting... It sounded like she was... She had, I don't know, 500 people around her. She sounded not bad for... What is she, like 115 years yeah, old or yeah. so? Spunky. Wow. Spunky. She's still taking them over her knee, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think she... I don't even think she has a hearing problem. She couldn't hear us, I don't think. But I think that was mainly because... Just too many people around her. Could be. Yeah. Something like that. Um, Hey, did you hear about, uh, speaking of, you know, descendants, a woman gives birth after finding out that she is pregnant. And, uh, you know, isn't it, it's, I, when I heard the story, um, she, this woman just barely found out she's pregnant, Then, but she found out she's pregnant while giving birth. It's too bad that she didn't... Uh, fly on our sponsor, Airborne Airlines, at the time. For over 40 years, Airborne Airlines has repeatedly been your top choice for traveling for vacations, weddings, and graduations. We would like to thank you for sharing your most precious and intimate moments with us. So, for the next nine months, we're giving away one million air mile points to every baby born on inbound Airborne Airlines flights. Ask your doctor for details. No inducements, castor oil, or midwives are allowed. Minimum drink purchase required. Must not be combined with any other offer. Airborne Airlines, welcoming you aboard and into the world. One of our great sponsors, Airborne Airlines. Um, So this woman gives birth. If she had just been on Airborne Airlines, she could have, you know, had some sky miles as well. What is it, a million sky miles if you deliver a baby on Airborne? Yeah. Wow. Worth it. Totally worth it. That's at least one flight. Oh, yeah. These days. Yeah, yeah. You could easily take one of you somewhere. She thought that the pain was coming from kidney stones. And when they arrived uh, at the Piedmont Henry Hospital in Stockbridge, Georgia, the doctor asked if Stephanie might be pregnant. She said no. And the doctor began preparing for x-rays. But after some observations, like her water breaking, uh, the doctors had a sudden change of plans. She's not getting a CAT scan. She's getting an ultrasound. And the next thing she knew, she was very pregnant uh, at 38 weeks. There are no words to describe the range of feelings associated with being told that you're having a baby in 30 minutes. Within 30 minutes, doctors were preparing Stephanie. And guess what? It wasn't until they we heard the heartbeat that reality really set in. Michael said uh, at 3.50 a.m. on Wednesday... Sean Jude Jagers came into the world at seven pounds, three ounces, 19 inches long. He appeared to be a very healthy baby. Can I just tell you with the difficulty that my wife has had with her first two pregnancies, um, she would be ecstatic. Oh, just to like be, you know, 
walking somewhere, having the, and then the next thing you know, boom, you're, yeah. you're having a baby. To not have to deal with the whole nine months of being sick but and uncomfortable. Your wife is a very petite woman. All of a sudden, you don't think you'd notice this mound of baby growing? That's what I'm, in a perfect world, but you know, it would never happen. Would too. Yeah, you might not pay attention like you need to either. See if you. you what do you What are you saying? I'm just saying your wife. You, you got to pay attention to your wife because sometimes maybe she doesn't know she's pregnant, but you might be able to pick it up. I'm just saying. There's a baby in your mom's. I mean, in your mom's. Oh, that was Freud. Um, there's a baby in uh, your wife's belly. Just letting you know. Hey, uh, it's also let's be real. Let's just get to the bottom of it. Cliche. Oh, we're still going with the cliches. Okay, got it. yeah. Um, you know that it goes without saying. Then that we're going to go with. Cliches. Then why are you going to say anything else? Because they're good as gold. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Guess I'm playing the game all by myself. Thought we were doing this together, Jeff. Well, you said it. It goes without saying. So I thought that was the end. Oh, you thought you were gonna, yeah. No, let's let's go for broke. <laughs> um, I guess we'll do one more crazy story. Um, here's 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 one that I'm sure you 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 probably can't believe. How fast would you would you drive, Jeffrey, to make sure that your McDonald's food didn't get cold before you ate it? You know, to be honest, it uh, it's really not going to make a difference in the quality of the food by the time I get it home. <laughs> oh. But I go there. I, I I frequent McDonald's because I have two kids. So Is that you don't really go there for the food. You go there for the playground and I go you know forty five the... <laughs> minutes of the kids playing by themselves. I, yeah, I go there for the ambiance. Yeah. Um, and the fries, of course. Oh, and the fries. Well, Lee Rutherford was caught going 120 mi- 29 miles an hour. What? After stopping at a drive-thru in February, police followed Rutherford in his sports car, clocking up some incredible speeds. And when asked why he was in such a hurry, it's because he said he wanted to get home to eat his burger and fries while they were still warm. It's a very honest answer. Very honest. He admitted making a false statement to obtain insurance and was found guilty of dangerous driving. He was given a 20-week prison sentence, suspended for a year, banned from driving, and ordered to take extended driving test. Wow. You know, that that's a good excuse. I, You know, I, I put together a little list here of other excuses that people have used to get out of a ticket. Oh, okay. So I'll just so share a few. So write these down, people. Okay. So a tourist from east from the East Coast was vacationing in Colorado and was stopped for speeding. When asked if she was aware that she was speeding, she responded that her speedometer must not be working properly at the much higher elevation in Colorado <laughs> than where she lived in New York, that's a great where it point. always works properly. Yeah, that's a great point. So uh, here's one. Driver, this is my first ticket ever, officer. Yeah, except for the one I gave you for running the same stop sign two weeks ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, here's another one. Driver, I wasn't speeding, and you didn't see a phone. It was a hamburger. Officer, that you held to your ear and is gone? <laughs> well, she ate it. Her <laughs> ear was hungry. Okay, driver, I'm a lawyer. Officer, excellent. I'm a policeman. 
Long silence, it says. <laughs> cricket, cricket, cricket. Officer, what time was your last drink? Driver, two years ago. Two hours ago. Uh, the second one. <laughs> and then here's, a, here's another good one. Uh, drunk driver jumps into a police car thinking it's a cab. Get me out of here, buddy. Cops are everywhere tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. You're looking for another cliche. I'm looking you? for a cliche. Did you know that have a nice day is a cliche? Really? Totally. Hmm. But I use that's it till my news, heart's content. That's news to me. Yep. Yeah. I use it till I'm high and dry. And high and mighty. Till you hit pay dirt, folks. Will you please get off your soapbox? Ah, see, there you go. Don't get hot under your collar. Cliché day. We're still celebrating it. We'll take a break. Come back. We'll be talking about being overwhelmed. Work, love, and play when no one has the time. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Can working parents in America, or anywhere for that matter, ever find true leisure time? According to Leisure Studies Department at the University of Iowa, true leisure is that place in which we realize our humanity. If that's true, then we're doing dangerously little in realizing much of our humanity, aren't we? Bridget Schulte, author of Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play When No One Has Time, is joining us today to talk uh, about why leisure time is important and how we can be sure to make it a larger priority in our lives. Bridget, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is, uh, oh, it's such an important time. I just came back from a week-long vacation of leisure time, and it was heavenly. Well, let me ask you, did you check your email? Did you do work? Did you I you know what? I I, I I little like maybe once or tw- actually probably twice in the week. Wow. It was heaven. That's, that's wonderful uh because actually your experience is becoming uh increasingly rare in the United States. Ugh. Um you know, which is uh it's very interesting and somewhat disturbing, but the United States we're the only advanced economy that does not have any national paid vacation policy. I think what I didn't know until I wrote the book, and I think a lot of people don't realize, is back in the 1930s, when we were talking about labor laws that still still govern us today, the, uh, the Fair Labor Standards Act, we were looking at the minimum wage, and we were looking at the 40-hour work week. The third thing that people wanted was uh, paid vacation as, as just sort of a part of what people got in, mm. in, um, in their work life. And that, that did not pass. There was a lot of opposition to it. So now what you have is, is about one in every four workers in the United States they have no access to vaca- paid vacation at all. And then the people who do, it's always, it's voluntary at the discretion of the employer. Uh, many people have, you know, an average of 10 to 14 days a year. Uh, you know, and you compare that to the European countries where they have five and six weeks a year. Right, <laughs> Honestly, right. Like the, entire, the entire country of Sweden takes the month of July off. I think that's just such a wild concept for Americans. <laughs> How great is that, 
Wow. Well, I, I will tell you what's great about that is there is there's really interesting leisure research or vacation research. We don't do any in the United States because we don't take enough for them to be able to hmm. study what vacation does. But they found, particularly in Sweden, there's this something they call collective restoration. When everyone has that time off, people become more connected to each other. They do have that time to refresh their soul. But what they noticed is that uh, prescriptions for antidepressant medications just dropped off the face of the earth because people actually had time to connect, to remember what was important. And think about it. You know, there is something a lot of people tend to be off between, say, Christmas and New Year's. Mm -hmm. A lot of businesses shut down, you know, uh, offices closed. There's something fundamentally different about that time, if you think about it, when you're off but everybody else is off versus if you're trying to take two weeks off, say, in July or a week off with your kids during spring break, it feels different because you're the only one off. And so a lot of people tend to feel guilty and they worry. And a lot of our workplaces, they make you feel guilty. It's like, oh, nice. Where are you off to? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Rather than, oh, where are you going? That's great. Uh, and so there have been re- there's research um, by Rand and others that show that actually even when we do take vacation, we don't take all of it. And when we do go on it, uh, a majority of Americans take work along with them. So what you were describing, that ability to really unplug and refresh, is becoming increasingly rare. A lot of Americans mm. just don't do it. Well, it's what a great point that when I'm off but my whole team is back here working, you do feel you feel bad. You feel like, oh, boy, they're going to. They're going to hate me. And and um, I mean, it really becomes an issue. And then but I, I did notice that I felt so I felt so much less guilt about my family because I always work because I was with my family. So, holy cow, is this is this different? I mean, are we actually busier than we've ever been or is it just that we keep, you know, pretending like we're busier? Well, I think it's a little bit of both, really. Um, one of the things that I looked at in my book is, is I really wanted to answer that question. Is this real or, or is this Memorex? Is, you know, is, yeah. it, is, it, is it something that we're just sort of inventing? Uh, and the interesting thing is really since the 1980s, if you start looking at work trends, work hours for knowledge workers have been on the rise. And so now for for office workers, for people who they call knowledge workers, uh, we work among the longest hours and what what uh, what international organizations call extreme hours of really any economy. Only Japan and South Korea work longer hours than we do. Uh, So we do have these increasing hours at work. Uh, with technology, one of the things that we're discovering is that technology is supposed to make our lives easier, but it actually has been making work more complicated. Mm. You know, think about it. There are over 100 billion emails sent and received every day. And while on the one hand, that's made communication so much easier and wonderful, all you have to do is think of all the times people CC you on things. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, and it's a, lot of, uh, it's a lot of stuff to go through. It's just a lot of information overload. We get decision fatigue. Our brain just that we're at uh, what neuroscientists call channel capacity. We just can't handle any more information coming in. So that's made work even more complicated. Uh, We have meetings that go on forever. Uh, uh, We're a really heavy meeting culture in our work. So work has become more complicated. Uh, Technology enables us to, to stay always on. We have these work cultures that really value that always on. Um, you know, we tend to think that the ideal worker is somebody who's available and always working at the drop of a hat. So we reward that, even though what I found in my book is that that actually does not 
uh, that working that way actually kind of leads you toward burnout rather than, uh, you know, really great work, effective work. Uh, because what we're discovering through neuroscience is that if you really want insight, if you really want creativity, if you really want to think of, you know, invent the next best thing or even just do your job well, you really do need to be not only rested and sort of in a positive mood, but you need time off. You need time through the day. You need to take breaks. Go and walk around the office or better, go walk around the block or mm-hmm. just go get outside because what we're discovering is that our brain really works on two speeds. We have a concentrated mode where we're actually working and focusing on things, but then we also have this diffuse mode. And what we're finding through neuroscience is that in that diffuse kind of daydreamy, mind-wandering state, our brain is actually more active, and that's when insight comes. Hmm. Your brain is literally wired to have your best ideas in the shower when you're in that kind of diffuse mode of thinking. And so if you really want to do your best work, you, you, know, you don't want to work like a maniac and burn out and be there 24-7, even though your boss thinks that you're doing such a great <laughs> job. You're really not. No. It's the person who leaves to go have dinner with their family and you know, gets a good night's sleep that will come in and be more effective excuse me, more effective, probably work a, a lot more efficiently and put themselves in a better position to have better ideas. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're breaking the we're breaking all the rules. And then we wonder yeah. why we're overwhelmed. Right, right. Well, and on the, the other side, so you were saying, are we more busier? Or are we more overwhelmed than ever? So that's just that's just work. So the way that I that I decided to look at the at this whole question was uh, the Harvard um, psychologist Eric Erickson, I took one of, uh, you know, sort of his philosophy was that the richest and fullest lives, you know, if you want to talk about the good life, Mm -hmm. he said they make time for the three great arenas of life. Uh, And he defined those as work, having meaningful work, having a sense of purpose and and kind of why you're here during your your short time here on earth, you know, that you have meaningful work, that you have time for love. Love is the other great arena of life. And you know, what we know now uh, from all this happiness research out of Harvard and other places really just reinforces a lot of common sense, which is that human happiness is based on our connection with other people and deep, real connection, not just sort of Facebook chitter chatter, but, you know, really feeling supported and understood and connected and loved and being able to love other people as well. Having time for friendships, having time for your family, you know, putting your phone down and, you know, watching your child blow bubbles, you know, right. <laughs> that that's really that that's a key to human happiness. That's important. And the third great arena that uh, Eric Erickson talked about was play, work, love and play. And that's where I got the title from my hmm. book. I thought, well, well, what's happening? And I would say that we've really given sh- play short shrift. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to think that leisure is and play is sort of a waste of time or it's it's for child's play and uh, that we're, what we really need to do is be busy and productive. And, you know, I have to tell you, I really fell into that. I used to have this really long to-do list and I would, I would call it virtuous busyness and I'd, <laughs> you know, scurry around and I'd be busy at work and I'd be busy at home and I'd be cleaning up my closets and I'd be doing all this stuff and yeah, yeah, I'll play with you later, I, you know, uh, and then I'd get to the end of the day and I, I can't tell you what I did, but I knew I was busy. Oh. And it was, it was so interesting when I was uh, reporting on the book, I talked to a leisure researcher and he said, well, well, what does leisure feel like to you? And I said, well, honestly, I just, I'm too busy. And I kind of felt proud saying it, oh, I'm too busy for leisure time. <laughs> you know, I, it's important. And he said, oh, one of the seven deadly sins. I'm like, what? What? 
I'm sitting. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it was fascinating. He said that in the Middle Ages, there was, you know, uh, one of the seven deadly sins was sloth, right. right? Being kind of the couch potato, not being involved or active in life. You know, you're just really lazy. But the flip side of that, the other side of the coin, so to speak, was this state that they called acedia. And the way that uh, this leisure researcher described it to me is it's like, you know, the sense that you're running on the treadmill and you're just running faster and faster. And boy, you don't know where you're going, but you're making great time. Hmm. And I just thought that that describes so perfectly the way that a lot of us are living. You know, um, behavioral psychologists call it tunneling. And when, that's just such a great image to me. It's either, you know, either being on that treadmill going nowhere or tunneling. You just get busy. And then all you can do is you just keep tunneling and tunneling and get busier and busier. And you've got this long list that never seems to end. And so you're just focused on the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And you have no idea where you're going. You have no idea that you're actually like digging to the center of the earth, right? Mm. Uh, that you haven't really taken the time to ask yourself, where am I digging? Why am I digging? Why am I digging so fast? Where am I going? What's really important here? And so that sense of, uh, of, of leisure or play is really nothing, you know, kind of nothing bigger than just taking a time, taking time to have that breath to just remember, wow, I'm alive. You know, uh, this, is, this is an amazing and wonderful day. And, um, you know, I'm not going to be here, uh, you know, for, for all that long. I mean, our lifespans are pretty short. And uh, how can I make the most of this day? How can I make time for work as it's meaningful and people that I love and, mm. and time to play just to kind of create open space in my, in my day to remember what's important. Oh, Bridget, this is awesome. Let's um, let's take a break. We're speaking with uh, Br- Bridget Schulte, author of the book Overwhelmed, Work, Love and Play When No One Has the Time. Uh, I want to ask her if, you know, being raised in Oregon, growing up a bit in Wyoming as well, has influenced her ability to work at the Post. Washington Post and be part of a team that won a Pulitzer Prize. I mean, what a combination, folks. Stick with us. Interesting insights about being overwhelmed up next. To the Matt Townsend Show, we are uh, speaking with Bridget Schulte, who is the author of the book "Overwhelmed: Work, Love, and Play When No One Has the Time," and she is bringing us some incredible research from the leisure time research field, um, and and also, I think, rattling our cages a bit. Uh, Bridget, we so appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much. It's really great to be with you. Now, check this. What a history you've got. So you, here you've got a New York Times bestseller um, book on time pressure, but you you also worked uh, – was you were an award-winning journalist with The Washington Post and The Washington Post magazine, part of a team that won the 2008 Pulitzer Prize. And here's what blows my mind. You also grown – you grew up in Oregon – Spent mm-hmm. some time, uh, some some time on the Casper Star Tribune in Wyoming, right? So right. when you were just talking about our lives, our need to slow down, I kind of think in the West, sometimes we're a little better at this than maybe the people in the East. 
Well, you know, um, I would, that was certainly what I thought when I first began working on my book. And I did. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I was so lucky. I grew up a block away from the largest, you know, I, they call it an urban forest. Mm. It was a forest park. Yeah. And so where I played was in the forest every day. You know, there are beautiful walking trails and little creeks and so, I mean, I, I was a city kid, but I had as much about, you know, a kind of a forest experience yeah. literally down the street. And I loved that. So that was you know, very different. It was also really rainy in Portland. So I read a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Helped your reading. I, That's right. 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 It helped me become a writer, I suppose. Um, and then I spent my summers in Wyoming. Both of my parents grew up in Casper, Wyoming. And so I, I say, you know, there are not that many people in Wyoming, and I'm related to probably all of them. <laughs> and, um, you know, my uncles on my mom's side were ranchers. And so we would go and spend uh, the summer up in the Bighorn Mountains. And, um, you know, it's just very, really very different, uh, you know, from the kind of hurly-burly of urban life, yeah. you know, where you do have time to kind of stare at the clouds and, you know, you you – you know, wander around and, and kind of like follow bugs and birds and, and, and a, you know, really different kind of experience. And it did not feel overwhelming. You know, the days felt like they lasted a million years sometimes. Um, uh, you know, looking at the stars right. was just, you know, an awe-inspiring experience. Uh, and so when I started the book, uh, I thought, well, maybe I'm just overwhelmed because I live in Washington. I have two little kids. You know, I work at the Washington Post, which is sort of you know, kind of a crazy environment in a crazy profession yeah. that never stops, right? News never stops. Uh, so how could you, quote, unquote, ever be done? Um, and it's also the kind of profession, like most writers, it can always be better and you're, you could always do more. And, and so it's hard, to, particularly if you have kind of perfectionist tendencies, which I certainly struggle with. Um, it's, it's really hard to kind of like close the computer and, and go home at the end of the day. And plus you're in an environment that really rewards you if you don't. Um, mm. So I just thought, well, maybe it's just because I live in Washington. So as I began working on the book, I, I started looking for research. I was wondering, has anybody done research into busyness and kind of the fast pace of life? And I found this one, uh, I was looking through the academic literature, and I found this one researcher. There really weren't that many people at the time. And she studied busyness and the fast pace of life in Fargo, North Dakota. Huh. And I called her up and I said, you're kidding. I thought this was sort of like the a sickness of like the East Coast right. where, I, where I was living or maybe like L.A. where you're in your car all the time or Chicago or like big cities. And she just she was very funny. She was this lovely woman. She said, oh, honey, you want to meet some overwhelmed North Dakotans? I could arrange <laughs> that. And so I did. Yeah. I spent some time with her in North Dakota, of all places. And, you know. Um, and sat in on a focus group, and there were people there. There was a, a guy who loved to canoe, but he just felt like he never he could he was too busy to ever go out. And then if he did, he would feel too guilty. You know, he just said, hmm. you know, there's this whole feeling, this kind of Protestant work ethic in America that if you know, uh, you know, idle hands are a devil's workshop. So mm -hmm. I always want to be busy. And so he wouldn't even allow himself, even on the weekends, to go canoeing. There was a, another young man. He just his wife had had a baby. He works 70 hours. He does all this, uh, you know, volunteering in the community. And he was just like, he wasn't sleeping, you know. But, yeah, I don't have any time for, for anything other than all of this stuff. Uh, there was one woman there who said that the last time she uh, she felt like she had a moment of leisure was in her doctor's office, you know, waiting oh, for her mammogram. You wow. know, it's like, wow. You know, when you think about what leisure is, the, the Greek philosopher said it was, the, it was the, we work to have leisure. It's what Aristotle said, upon which happiness is built. Uh, and so for, for the Greeks, there was this concept that 
you know, that there was more to life than just like working to have a living and, you know, and then just kind of coming home and, and recovering so that you could go back to work the next day, that there was this sort of third space, if you will. And they said it was the place where you refresh your soul and you, you become most fully human. Hmm. Um, and so that was a really exalted kind of uh, time. Uh, Ovid said, I can tell the type of person you are by the leisure you have. Um, and so we really devalued that in, in the United States, I would argue. Um, you know, a hundred years ago, you showed your status by how much leisure time you had. That was, you know, the sort of the wealthier you were, the idle rich, right? The more leisure time you had. And really in the last century, that's really flipped on its head. You know, back in the 1950s, people were predicting that we were so productive. We would, uh, we would all have four day work weeks. We'd have, uh, you know, we'd retire at age 38, you know, that, and we'd all have these wonderful lives of leisure. And, uh, and then the question becomes, well, what happened? You know, (laughs) we're working more than ever. We don't take leisure and we sort of fooled ourselves into thinking leisure isn't important. Um, uh, you know, so that's sort of really what, what I was looking at. And so part of it, as I was mentioning, work has become more intensive. Um, and also at home, uh, we have, you know, we like to make fun of helicopter parents and mm-hmm. snowplow snow parents and, uh, you know, steamroller parents and all that. But, uh, but that's also a trend that started back in the 1980s, just like work, work started to increase and intensify in the 1980s. Parenting and particularly mothering standards also started to increase in the 1980s. And we've never expected mothers to do more, to be more, and to do it all alone than we ever have before. You know, when you, when you look at the social science literature around motherhood, uh, it's really astounding, especially at a time when we have a majority of mothers who actually work outside the home for pay. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting, strange, and punishing time. Um, you know, I, one of the things that really blew my mind is when I saw the, the time diary statistics that working mothers today spend more time with their children than stay-at-home moms did in the 60s and 70s. Wow. You know, and at first I thought, no, that's crazy. How could that be? You know, because I was an incredibly guilty working mother. You know, we live in the Washington, D.C. area, and, you know, I'm married to a journalist, and you don't, you know, it's like yeah. it's really hard to survive on one salary. And so I felt like I had to work. And, um, you know, and plus I wanted to work as well. That was a I was sort of, but I had this push-me-pull-you. I also really wanted to be a very involved mother. And so I was very guilty, and it was really hard. Um you know, and uh, when I saw that figure, I was just like, wow, how is that possible? And then I was, I was reading, and it's really clear that, that uh, the majority of mothers have given up time for sleep. They sleep less. They've given up time for personal care. You know, we don't go uh, to the, you know, the hairdresser like, right. you know, maybe a couple decades ago. And most, the majority of mothers spend the, the, almost all of their leisure time, their free time with their children. But then when you look into what that time is like, you know, people are so busy and we're so worried about our kids and what the future holds that that time has really become this kind of frenetic ferrying them to lessons and running to the carpool and logistics. And, and so it's not necessarily even good quality time. You know, we are reading to our kids more. We're certainly playing with them uh, more than, than, say, in the 50s and 60s. But, you know, I guess what, what I came to realize is that, is that there's really a sweet spot. And, you know, more is not more. More time is not better. You know, you really want to be able to give your kids independence. Like, 
when I was out playing in the forest in Oregon, my mother was not there with me, you know? Right. <laughs> and that would have been a very different experience. I was not playing with my mother. We Sometimes we feel like we have to play with our kids. Ugh. So there's sort of that sweet spot that you absolutely want to be connected with them. You want to read. You do want to play, but you also want to give them their own space for their own independence, to yeah. grow their own sense of resilience and grit. And that you don't want that time to be stressful. And uh, that it's the stress that they really remember. There was a, a, a study that I wrote about that really looked at all this extra time that mothers in particular are spending with their kids and asking, well, has it mattered? You know, has it mattered for children's, you know, uh, cognitive development or the social emotional growth? And they looked and from ages three to 11, all that extra time really hasn't, you know, hasn't, hasn't has, moved the needle in right. anything. Hasn't changed it. Hasn't changed it where they weren't able to look at infants because that's just, um, uh, you know, they didn't have the time diary data for it. And I do think that infants, it's a completely different, that zero to three is a, is a different question. Uh, they did find that for teenagers, it did matter that you spent time with them, but not a lot of time, you know, uh, that amount, the amount of time as connecting over breakfast or, or dinner, just being aware of what's going on in their life, mm. being interested, do- finding ways to connect. Uh, you know, so I think that that's also really hopeful. A lot of us, you know, parents, we want to do the right thing, but with our kids and, uh, you know, we want to set them on their way. And I find that really hopeful that it's really about finding the sweet spot. That, that sweet spot. We've got about 30 seconds, Bridget. What would you say is the, the fastest way to kind of to get in? And, and what's, the, what's the one thing we could do today to take back our lives, to, to get and feel and be less overwhelmed? Take time to pause. As, as busy as you think you are, you know, even if it's just take one breath when you hang up the phone, take a little walk around the office, walk around the block. Uh, just allow yourself a break and you'll be surprised mm. how things start to shift. Take time to pause and find that sweet spot. Well done, man. Bridget, thank you so much. Love your insight. Love the book. Uh, the book again, Overwhelmed Work, Love, and Play When No One Has the Time. Got to look that one up, folks. That's a keeper that'll change your life. Bridget Schulte is her name. We'll have her back on the show. What a powerful, powerful person she is. Stick with us. We'll take a break. Come back and uh, be talking about... Uh, some tweets, some ugly tweets. My my people are going to attack me. Mean tweets with Dr. Matt. Stick with me. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Social media and the Internet uh, use is at an all-time high and growing, especially among teenagers and young adults. Have you ever wondered what they might be saying to others through that screen? Is it always nice? Doubt it. Caitlin Thomas is here with us this morning to talk about what happens when we forget that people can read everything that we are typing. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to start off today's segment by playing a round of Celebrity Mean Tweets. Matt Townsend edition. Okay, so now celebrity mean tweets. Oh boy! Now, who's the okay. television person that does this? This is Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Okay, right. Matt, I yes. have some of these mean tweets Kay. written about you. Written about me. You got to read these out by loud. my peeps. So the the story is, Jimmy Kimmel has a, he has celebrities celebrity. come on and they read, read the mean tweet tweets that people about say about them. them. Okay, <laughs> here we go. What okay. Are, um, Am I supposed to say who it's from? You can if you want. Oh, fix it. I just lost some. <laughs> okay, here we go. 
This is from <laughs> Terry South. <laughs> oh, uh, Dr. Townsend is not a real doctor. Hold it. Uh, Dr. Townsend is not a real doctor. He can talk to you about your feelings, but he can't fix broken bones. Hmm. I sense some better, some bitterness in that. Yeah. That that was really bitter. Mm. That was also Terry. What else are you getting? Um, are we doing the next one? Yeah. Dr. Matt Townsend got his PhD from Trump University. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that Ouch. funny? Ouch. It's legit, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's totally legit. I graduated legit. summa cum laude. These are mean <sighs> tweets. I'm sorry. <sighs> Keep going. Matt is very insensitive. This is from Palakiko. <laughs> Was that the end of the tweet? That's pretty much it. <laughs> he, went, he went all the way to Costa Rica and only brought us back Zika. I think there's a story Ooh, there. Ooh, zing. No, Zika. Oh. Zika. <laughs> Palakiko. Zika Palakika? Yeah. Okay. I think that's a rice dish. Something. Zika Palakika. Uh, that was from Palakiko. Darn it. Um, if I hear Matt say, mmm, or you knocked it out of the park one more time, I'm quitting. That has to be from Sadie. <laughs> that was totally Sadie. Mmm. Good thought, Sadie. Yeah. You are quitting. Just kidding. You're fired. This isn't supposed to be this yet. mean, is it? Oh, you're not done yet. Dr. Townsend is not a real doctor. Hold on, I'm back to that one. Oh, Matt is a cheapskate. <laughs> this is from Leanna. He only ever gives me the leftover food that's been in his desk drawer for months. Can I get a steak? <laughs> Am I supposed to feed her? I, she's offended by the food that you do feed her, apparently. Dr. Matt Townsend likes Nickelback. <laughs> That's Ooh. my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> then it's fighting words. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Mmm. Sadie. Um, I just got Sadie back in there. Uh, oh, right there. Sadie, Think I think I saw a balding spot on him the other day. Hashtag old. How did you know that? I had to pre-screen all these tweets to make sure they were appropriate for the are these, radio. Are these insults or just observations? I think, I think these, it's a little bold. It seems like these are insults. Okay. Uh, Jeff Simpson. Uh, Matt Townsend is like Steve Carell and Andy Richter, except Matt has a lot less money and about 12 more kids. Hashtag Matt mean tweets. <laughs> it's trending on Twitter right now. It's not trending. These are rude. It. So, I mean, but, I mean, we laugh, right? It's funny. I didn't that laugh. That was funny. I thought it was rude. <laughs> okay, but no, see, it hurts I your feelings. I don't, I just thought, I'm still, I can't. This is why we're talking about this, because it's funny. We watch celebrity mean tweets, we listen to your mean tweets, and we laugh. I can't get over Sadie's, where she said she doesn't like me to say not, she oh. knocked it out of the park. And, mm. Tell, mm. I guess you'll have to tell her from now on that that was a complete failure. Yeah. I'm going to have to just shoot straight. I mean, but really, what I was getting at with this is we laugh, and this is what Jimmy Kimmel's yeah. getting at. All right, we laugh because it's it's Matt 
or, you know, oh, you celebrities. Laugh. You laugh, not celebrity, but you laugh but at me. in real life. Not even with me. This does happen to people in real life, and they really actually do get, there are really people mean that things get hurt. that get hurt. Cyberbullying. Yeah. That's what I really wanted that, to talk about. That's what that was. You, that's what all, the, <laughs> you all just cyberbullied me. That's what, me. In, in, in a sense, Jimmy Kimmel and what we were just doing through Matt, you know, as we're talking about. But this happens to young kids, adults. Yeah. I mean, it happens to all of us. People it's never... saying mean things, and they think because they're saying it, you know, they're on a screen, it dehumanizes the situation, right. and so they don't feel like, so the consequences feel less hurtful. Doesn't I never give... say rude things like that. <clears throat> but it's just as rude to someone who reads it. Doesn't it give you a warm and fuzzy, though, to know <laughs> that people care that much about you that they're willing to take the time to talk to other people about you? Yeah, but no. all the teenagers don't see it that way. No. I mean, because the <laughs> problem with cyberbullying is is it's a type of bullying that happens that can happen twenty four seven seven days a week. You can't just go home after school and get oh, yeah. away from it. No, it follows you everywhere you go because everyone has a phone and everyone has social media and every the internet is everywhere. This was this was a very big wake up call about who your friends are. I think it's just yeah, and I think and the kids like you're saying these kids can't go away. No, and they can't get away from think it. Think about how that impacts their little fragile psyche. It makes them it makes them especially when it starts when they're young teens it makes them more susceptible to low self-esteem, depression, suicidal thoughts, mm. drug and substance abuse and all of those things that Well, they just had that 11-year-old girl that that killed herself because she was involved in an accident. It damaged her face. She and went to school and everybody made fun of her. That's horrible. I mean, I had my little brother. Somebody made an Instagram page. We don't know who it was because it can be anonymous. That's the other problem. An Instagram page um, that was called Bowen is Gay. Oh. And like, and they would post photos of him and they would write these horribly mean captions. And like, That's horrible. And it was, it was rude. And he would horrible. shrug it off like it wasn't a big deal. But I know... Those things, it's just, it's not okay. Well, and the funny thing with uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel and these guys, it, it's a never-ending thing. For celebrities, people are constantly oh, hitting them. every day. But your brother's not a celebrity, but he gets pummeled still. Yeah, he still gets pummeled. Well, and I know it happens, I mean, like, I took my whole platform as Miss Lehigh was suicide prevention. That's so right. I know this happens. You know. I just want parents to be aware. You know, watch your kids. Teach your kids cell phone etiquette. Yeah. You know, just because you can't see it's their out there, reaction so you when gotta... you type it doesn't mean there's not a reaction. Oh, that's right. That's right. Excellent job, Caitlin. Thanks for putting me down to teach a great lesson. That really was very Taking good. Taking one for the team. Thanks, Taking. We all could do well from a good roast. <laughs> yeah, we could. I, I love roast beef. That was more like a honey roast. Mmm, I love honey roasted ham. We'll take a break. Come back. Hour number two up next. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number three of the program. Dr. Matt here, your head honcho. Well, you're not really a doctor. As we established at the the end of the last hour, right? Uh, I am a doctor. My degree was not from Trump University. And I am the head honcho because today is cliche day. And you can take that to the bank. Take that to the bank. Hold your horses. Don't steal my cliche. Your thunder? Don't steal your thunder? Don't steal my thunder. You know, I found you just need to hold your own. And remember... Honesty is the best policy. 
So that's that's what you would how you would respond to the mean tweeters. Yes, honesty is the best policy. It's okay. the best policy to put someone down. I beg to differ. Cliche day. I hope you're celebrating like we are. We have 681 cliches that we're trying to get through today. And, uh, you know, if you're ever in a pinch, you can just easily throw out a cliche in a jiffy and it'll get you out of your jam. Matt, you've got a friend in me. Thank you. You said that right in the nick of time. (laughs) It's such a fun day. It's also sandwich day. Hoagies and grinders, hoagies and grinders, navy beans, navy beans, navy beans, hoagies and grinders, hoagies This is Adam Sandler's Sloppy Joe Lunch Lady Land song. Sloppy, sloppy Joe. Oh, good tunage. You got it. That just brings back great memories. Adam Sandler. It's one of the few clean songs that he has. Yeah. And who didn't, who didn't have an experience with the lunch lady? Hoagies and Grinders, Sloppy Joe Lunch Lady. Hey, um, what a show we got for you today. We will be we will be talking about working out. Is it better to work out as a couple or would it be better to go get therapy? <laughs> the research Whichever it, one is free. In in my in my work, you know, therapy is like an art, and some therapists aren't as helpful. But there is some pretty cool research about couples that work out. It works. Or you could just laugh it off because laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, it is. It takes all kinds, you know, Jeff. It takes all kinds. So um, <laughs> we're just trying to get all the cliches into so you know. If, if it sounds like we're, we're struggling here, we're not. We're, it's cliche day. These are a, a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. We just want to jump in with both feet. Yeah. Get everyone to jump on the cliche bandwagon. Just go for it. Yeah. And you know what? It's just a ticket, I found, to feeling better about yourself. And, you know, keep the home fire burning. Uh, Also today, we'll be talking with our good buddies, the brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Find out. I want to find out how they felt about the World Series last night. We'll get into our view about the World Series. Stayed up late to watch that. What a cool moment that was. Um, You know, even if you were rooting for Cleveland, it was incredible. The crowd at Cleveland still... I mean, there was a lot of cheering. It seemed just as loud. Mm -hmm. Even when the Cubs won, it seemed just as loud. Mm Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. So we'll get to all that fun. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen, find out about the headlines around the country. Sadie, what's going on? Scott Michael Green, the 46-year-old Iowa man suspected of killing two police officers in Des Moines, early Wednesday morning had a confrontation history of confrontations with police. Authorities had have not revealed a possible motive and say the officers who were killed in separate incidents and found their patrol cars were probably caught off guard and never interacted with the gunmen. The Federal Reserve left interest rates unchanged after the end of its meeting Wednesday, just as many economists had expected. In the midst of an election, the last thing the Fed wants to do is add fuel to all the political controversy from the candidates, reports ABC News. The Fed said that in a statement that it would wait for further evidence of progress in the economy, but that the case for a hike has continued to strengthen. 
the opera lover who sparked a scare at the Metropolitan Opera by scattering his mentor's ashes in the orchestra pit has apologized for his actions. Dallas resident Roger Kayser said in a letter Wednesday that he promised a cancer-stricken friend in 2012 he, he would scatter his friend's ashes at various opera houses after his death. The Met halted a performance Saturday after some musicians reported seeing Kayser sprinkle a powdery substance into the orchestra pit. A later performance of another opera was also canceled as police investigated. Kayser wrote to the Met general manager Peter Gelb and the Met community that his sweet gesture to a dying friend went completely and utterly wrong. Gelb responded that he appreciates the innocence of Kayser's intentions, even if misguided. And finally, yes, the Cubs uh, wanted to be uh, better safe than sorry. So uh, they offered fans planning to skip work or school for Game 7 of the World Series a super official excuse note for their bosses and teachers. Super official excuse, excuse notes for everyone, the team tweeted. The form letter reads, To whom it may concern, please excuse blank from classwork, other responsibility on Wednesday, November 2nd, 2016. The Chicago Cubs are playing Game 7 of the World Series, and if you're not familiar with the sports narratives, well, it's kind of a big deal. We need all the support we can muster up and blank has been an integral part of our fan base for blank days weeks months years and we cannot hashtag fly the w without them thank you so much for understanding and if you ever need a cute gif tweeted at you we are your twitter account respectfully yours at the cubs kind of a big deal yeah hmm well you knocked it out of the park sadie (laughs) thank you you are so welcome, Matt. And uh, hmm. what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. She's speaking through her teeth right now. Yes, she is. You can't please everyone. No, knock on wood. You knock your socks off. Um, well Isn't done, Isn't it Sadie. more of a pressed laminate? You knock. Our desk here? Yeah, there's wood in there somewhere. I'm not supposed to knock on it. There's a sign over there. Yeah, it's true. Because it makes that noise. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the kiss of death. (laughs) Again, it's cliche day, and uh, we still have about 300-plus cliches to get through. Oh, wow. It's going to be a big day. It's going to actually not make a lot of sense. I want you to do the entire BYU Sports Nation. You have to say the whole thing or they get mad. That whole segment with them in cliche. Well, I would. I just don't want them to jump down my throat. Yeah. So you're saying you're not going to end the show until you get through the list or until the fat lady sings. Exactly. But that one's already been used, or is that off the list? If we use it, does it count, or does it have to be you? It has to, anyone, anyone on the show can use it. Cliche today. Well, I know, but does hey, it count towards your time? Rules, rules were meant to be broken. Well, there you go. Yes, they were. And you know what? A cliche is just the ticket sometimes to get what you need to get that point across, you know? I've just found that if I keep an eye on it and a stiff upper lip. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your chin up. Just keep going. Keep your fingers crossed. No, I think Terry's telling us to keep going on with the show. Kick up your heels. You won't kick the bucket. We're getting bogged down in some details here. (laughs) We're up to the Ks. I am anyway. You guys keep going back to all the other ones. So, um, boy, World Series last night. How great was that? In fact, let's give you a little taste of Chicago's uh, – the World Series final out. The call by 670, the score, the Cubs' flagship station. I don't know what to compare. I don't, there's nothing to compare it to, really. 
and I think everyone should get a day off from the school. That Rob Emanuel really is a North Side mayor. He's right here. We right over there. Just tell them their kids should not have to go to school. What day is today? Thursday? Today's Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. Thursday, Friday out? Go back. Thursday, Friday out. Come on. If he's, a, he's, as, if he's as good a mayor as he wants to be, he should start right now and give these kids Thursday and Friday off. Bill Murray after the Cubs win. So he calls out the mayor of Chicago saying, if you're a real mayor, if you're for the people, if you're for the, what, the north side? Yeah. That's, Chicago, that's the Cubs side of town? Then you should give every kid in Chicago the day off of school. The whole weekend. Oh, he no wants question. four-day weekends. What do you think, Matt? I think he needs to knock it off. <laughs> I mean, these kids are going to mm-hmm. – they need to still go to school. And then when they find out from their teacher, they're going to get a knuckle sandwich. Hmm. Okay, so do you want the the last out? Yeah. Okay. Here's the last out. A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. The Cubs come pouring out of the dugout, jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious 10-year-olds. The Cubs have done it. The longest drought in the history of American sports Mm. is over and the celebration begins. By the way, now the Cleveland Indians have the longest drought. (laughs) Well, you know, they know how to fix it. They were two points away, three points away. But I think they're called runs. Cleveland got – they were called runs. Uh, Cleveland um, Cleveland already has a championship this year. You can't have everything. You can't have your cake and eat it too. No, you can't. No, you can't. But they were on a roll, that's for sure. And they hit it on the nose. And the you know the Cubs were on the money. And the Indians were on the rocks. Oh, and what's his name? His name is on the tip of my tongue. I feel like you're digging an early grave for me. <laughs> for everyone. It is uh, cliche day. No way. Did you notice I just shot out four from the uh, those that start with the letter O? Terry, you'll need you'll need to let us know when it's rhyming day, and yeah. the, the entire show will be rhymed. Oh, that'll be a great day. Believe me. <laughs> uh, apparently, game seven of the. Uh... Cubs Indians World Series. So yeah. It was on last night. Twenty five point two overnight rating on Fox. It's up sixty six percent from uh, the last game seven, which was in twenty fourteen. Yes, twenty five. That, that got about a fifteen. Mm, rating. Wow. So twenty five was, which is on par with uh, what does it say here? Which is reading. Does it say how many millions of viewers that was? Excluding the NFL and the Olympics, the 25.2 is the highest rating of any sporting event since 2001. Wow, they were piling it wow. on. Yeah. So it's a, it's a it's a big number. I'm trying to see what the It was a historic game. Yeah. With the Cubs not having won a World Series for 108 years and I think the Indians since the 40s. For the year, it's the fifth highest of any TV program, including the NFL, behind the Super Bowl, which got a 49. Wow. Right? So twice as many. Patriots-Broncos AFC Championship game got a 31. Cardinals-Panthers NFC Championship game got a 26. Mm. And the Steelers-Broncos in the divisional round, yes, Laz was a 26. And so then this comes in at 25. This is great for baseball. Yeah. And And then after that is, you know— presidential debates blah 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 yeah who cares 
Who cares about all that stuff? So, yeah, it's a, it was a big night. Lots of people watched it. And Huge. Chicago didn't burn. So I think everyone wins. I know. Everybody wins. And apparently some of the kids might get out of school. Well, if Bill Murray has his way. Yeah. Which is, again, why Bill Murray's not the mayor. Apparently 40 million viewers last night. Oh, wow. That's almost as big as The Bachelor. Wow. No, it's not even close. Right. <laughs> right. Thanks, Bachelor. Hey, um, if, you, uh, if you're into sports and you don't feel like you're getting enough of it, you could uh, go take a shot. Golfers now are swinging at Clinton and Trump hmm. at a Texas driving range. Stressed out voters can go take a swing at uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. They put their their images up on a driving range. Photos of the candidates were then displayed as targets for speeding golf balls. I think the the signs want when you hit them, they make some kind of a sound. Really? So if you hit a Donald Trump, Bing, 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 mm. Bing, 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 Bing. That's fun. Yeah, I could do that. And with and Hillary I think, Clinton, I think with Hillary Clinton, it's ah. I love that. Now, if you hit ba- so if you hit Hillary, she coughs. But if you hit Donald, hmm. yeah, I don't know that I could listen to that. That would ruin my golf game. So we've had the guy in or what Minnesota with tanks. Uh huh. You could drive over mannequins that look like either or yeah. both candidates, whichever way. Yeah. There's different packages for your entertainment. So it all seems so violent. It's it does. like people are really angry. Yeah. There's a lot of shooting ranges that are taking flack because they have either or both candidates on a target you could shoot at. I wonder what Secret Service, how yeah. they feel about this. They, they tend to shy away from that. And yeah. we're how many days away now? Five? five? Yeah, five days. Down to five days. It's close. Five days. And it's good because a couple of those days are the weekends. So you really don't have to think about it. No. Unless, of course, something drops on Friday and then everyone goes nuts and their hair on fire for two days. I have a feeling something's going to drop on Friday. Isn't today the day that uh, we're supposed to hear back from Comey? I thought November 3rd was the deadline. Or was it November 4th? I don't know that Comey has a deadline, does he? I don't think so. They Hmm. said it would take a while. He's the FBI director. He can do anything he wants. November 28th is a big day. I mean, he doesn't want to rob Peter to pay Paul. Don't get me wrong. But... Oh, November 28th, you mean Election Day? Uh, no. Well, <laughs> Trump was saying that was Election Day. But what's interesting is that's the day Trump University goes on trial. He knew it was an important day. Yeah, he just got his dates mixed up. So in addition to us definitely having a president here soon, there's also a, a surefire chance that we're going to have a uh, trial of some kind. Of no, some that kind. is what's that's yeah. this is what makes this a special election because not only do you get a president, you also get a lot of court time. Yeah, the lawyers. So all the court reporters from the court shows will be going crazy at no extra cost to mm-hmm. you, the voter. That's right. That's well, right. well, yeah, <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> so now you can breathe a sigh of relief. Sign sealed, delivered. You will have court cases in the next uh for the next at least four years regardless of who wins well not court it'll be senate hearings uh, or you know house congressional true. hearings That's Those are really, it's not really court well yeah well the the ha- one side will be court yeah, Trump, Trump will be University. in court. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's that judge that's unbiased but, because yeah. he's from Indiana. 
with a sniff. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good. Good to know. Hey, uh, as we take a break here, think about it. If you needed marriage counseling, is it better to go to a therapist or just to go start working out as a couple's? Some interesting research about the power of working out together and how it might actually save or improve your relationship. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger. We'll be right back. You've probably heard dozens of methods of couples therapy and relationship strengthening tactics from taking more time to talk to your significant other or to planning your weekly activities together. When you think of strengthening your relationship and your significant other's perception of you, the last thing you think of probably is that you need to see them all sweaty, working out, huffing and puffing at an exercise machine, right? Well, today, licensed clinical social worker Kelly Kitley joins us to talk to us, by the way, from Chicago, to teach us how working out with our significant other might be as good as couples therapy. Kelly, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much, Matt. It's great to be talking with you this morning. And congratulations to Chicago. Hello. Oh, thank you. It's an awesome energy here today. (laughs) So cool. Hey, um, so... When it comes down to it, the research in uh, in your um, in this article that we read that you were talking about, it's huge. Really, it could be that couples working out together has so many benefits, it might actually even equal couples therapy. Well, I like to say it's an adjunct to couples therapy. I think there are great benefits of it in supporting overall health for couples. Um, And certainly it's a great place to start. I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist and the idea of doing positive exercise together can also incorporate healthy living and healthy eating and supporting one another. Um, And there are just so many great benefits for couples Mm. to work out together. Talk talk about some of those benefits. Um, I know one of them is just simply the camaraderie, the togetherness. Yeah, absolutely. It, it It is an activity. And so oftentimes couples, um, you know, will make decisions to go out for dinner together or to go see a movie, more of these sedentary um, activities. And so there is a connection that happens um, for couples and just being able to support one another and achieve goals together and really feeling like a partnership. Mm. And I mean, really, how how rare is that many times with couples like you said it's easier to go to a movie where we can disconnect from each other but uh working together on goals is and actually helping each other through the goal that that right there that's kind of it seems like the reason we got together well i that's what i'd like to to have couples focus on remembering what brought you together and the time that you enjoyed Spending together. Oftentimes I'm seeing couples where there is a disconnect in the marriage and they report feeling like they're living like roommates or living these parallel lives. And here, um, being able to work out together with a common goal of being healthier or losing weight or getting stronger, um, it's a common shared interest, which can just increase so much positivity within the family dynamic, really, as well, if there are children involved. Talk about the chemical side of this. One of the benefits of working out, I know, is the, the chemistry that's, that comes with it. How does the chemistry of the workout, you know, affect the chemistry of the relationship? 
Well, exercise in general increases mood, and oftentimes um, if couples are working out together, you know, they're um, benefiting by um, increasing serotonin and um, increasing endorphins, and so that brain chemistry just increases positivity, um, which can help couples have a shift in the way that they're looking at the relationship as well, and rather than focusing on the negative, they're choosing um, to focus on the positive. Hmm. Does it, um, I, I just, you know, I look at like going on a walk with my wife. It gives you the time. I mean, you got to drive there. Then you're there. You do your work. If you go to a gym and you work out together, um, it -hmm. gives you some time together, but some time apart. But it also it it's we're both working on the same thing, and yet you're kind of you're 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 seeing your partner in a different light. I'm seeing my partner, you know, struggle and work. Mm What is that? I mean, that's attractive to see not I mean, it's not always pretty to see each other sweating, (laughs) but it is attractive to see your partner pushing themselves. Oh, sure. And it it helps um, to motivate the other person as well. I mean, um, there is a natural tendency to want to help somebody that you're seeing struggle, but also to be able to see the positive outcome from that struggle and really um, verbally validate that as well as physically in, in finding your partner more attractive physically or um, certainly being able to maybe feel more comfortable in different clothing. And, you know, there's a whole shift that happens with just starting with something that basic um, as taking a walk together and all the benefits of the other behaviors that come along with that, you know, maybe then coming home and cooking a healthy meal and, and being on the same page and supporting one another. Do you, I mean, this, it's so kind of natural. And in fact, I'm going to bet many couples started their relationships working out or being more active together, doing things together. What do you think it is about us that that has these things that work, that got us to fall in love? Mm-hmm. Why do they fade? Why don't we get back to them as easily? Because we're so busy. Um, everybody is so busy in their career, in child rearing, in personal growth. And oftentimes some of, you know, I talk in, in session with a lot of my couples about getting back to the basics and removing some of the chaos and feeling overwhelmed with life and being able to take a time out and, um, something as concrete as working out together and having concrete results as well as emotional results, um, physical results. Um, and, you know, I think we just forget yeah. and, and we overcomplicate things. Um, so being able to tap into things that, that, that couples found a connection together with, it's oftentimes a place I'll start. What, what did you used to enjoy together that you're not doing anymore? Yeah. Um, and sometimes couples will say, you know, we used to exercise. We used to go for bike rides. We'd go for walks. Um, we'd go to the gym together. But now I think there's a lot of tag teaming, um, especially when there are kids involved. Mm. Um, you go do this while I go do this and kind of the passing of the torch rather than doing it together. And, and it, I mean, it, I've also found like they know what they used to do. And if you ask couples, um, what do they know they could be doing now that would probably help them? 
a lot of times they know also that they could be working out together. They, they, they know what they could do, too. So when we come back, I want to have you teach us how we can change the behaviors. How do we change human behavior to do what we our mind – like I might be thinking, I need to go on more walks with my wife. I need to be doing more with my wife, but then it's, you know, my mind gets in the way, my head gets in the way, my justifications get in the way. I want your help helping us change. Uh, We're speaking with Kelly Kitley. If you go, uh, you can go check out her website, Kelly, let's get there, kellykitley.com, K-E-L-L-E-Y-K-I-T-L-E-Y.com, and uh, go check out her website. We'll be right back and continue the discussion Interesting stuff, folks. Doesn't go away. Working out, though, uh, is one way to create a deeper connection and some, some powerful chemistry that might enhance your relationship with your spouse. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the line is Kelly Kitley. She's a licensed clinical social worker in private practice and has treated patients in Santa Monica and Chicago for the past 15 years. She's a columnist for Fitness Magazine and is launching a new autobiography on survival in December called Myself. You can find out more about that book by visiting her website, kellykitley.com. Kelly, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much. And thanks for walking us through the uh, the workout therapy. I mean, there is power. There's chemistry. There's connection. There's, you know, the cooperation that takes place when we work out with our spouse on, and we have similar goals. Um, anything else we're missing on why working out with our spouse is such a therapeutic thing? Well, the one thing um, that I did want to touch on as well is, the component of a, a marriage that makes a relationship that relationship so different from any other relationship is the sexual chemistry as well. And um, oftentimes, when I'm seeing couples in in therapy, they're reporting that they haven't been intimate in quite some time. And some of the reasons for that is disconnect in the marriage or body image issues. And so, when we talk about the benefits of working out together, that can also increase sexual intimacy in the marriage, which is a great benefit. I mean, because the chemistry of and the dopamine and the adrenaline and all of those chemicals that are flying in the body are also uh, part of the same chemistry that, that is uh, aroused in, in, sexual rea- in sexual relations. Oh, absolutely. And so even the... Um, the engagement of sexual activity can create that same kind of chemical release that exercise um, creates as well. So if you're exercising together and you're having sex, yeah. then the benefits are just multiply. It's <laughs> so true, though, isn't it? And it's I mean, and that's why it's so I mean, it's kind of just so natural. Sometimes it becomes a more natural therapy that uh, I, and I've even found with clients. The minute you start talking about it. More overtly, it becomes more real to them, where if you just sneak it in and exercise, all of a sudden you're getting the kind of the hidden benefits and you don't even know your relationship's improving. It just oh, sneaks absolutely. up on you. My husband, my husband calls it sneak therapy. Are, you yeah. doing, are we doing some 
sneak therapy. Yeah, exactly. Are you trying to are you trying to help me lose my waistline and create some good therapy between us? That's a great way to look at it. Talk about um, how we change the behavior. That I mean, we are so caught up in our family, our schedules, our our life um, that we we kind of get away from something that we know would work. How do we change that? How do we get maybe a spouse that doesn't like exercising? How do we get them to even think about doing it more with us? So I like to start small because oftentimes with behavior changes, if we think about the big picture, it can feel very overwhelming. And oftentimes the hardest part is just starting. So um, the parallel between, you know, what we were just talking about in terms of sexual intimacy and exercise Most people, after they exercise or have sex, never say, oh, gosh, I really wish I didn't do that. Um, It's usually taking your clothes off or putting your running shoes on that is the hardest part. And so being able to set really small goals initially, you know, something like we're making a behavior change. Let's hold each other accountable to get out for a walk for 30 minutes as opposed to, okay, our goal is to lose 20 pounds. I mean, that seems like a huge goal and gosh, there's so much I need to do to get there. So I might as well not even start, but something like 30 minutes of walking together um, that isn't high intensity. It's like, sure, I can do that. Mm. Um, And so when we're left to our own devices and just expect ourselves to be accountable, um, then sometimes we aren't as successful. But if we look for accountability outside ourselves as well as within, um, then our success rate is higher. So if I'm feeling like, oh, I just want to go home and sit on the couch, but my spouse says, let's get this workout in before we sit on the couch, then the likelihood of me doing that is greater. Mm. So there needs to be a common um, desire and, and willingness. And then I find once the willingness is there, there's more of a, a commitment to want to follow through with small steps. Yeah, and, and small steps, you know, eventually you start to have successes and then chemistry and then re, and all, then you see the results and then it becomes more just that I guess then then you can up the game. Correct. And, and yeah, and play a harder ball. Is it uh, – do you ever see people that they, they – it's it's just the history. Like, I, yeah, I've already tried that, Kelly. That didn't work. So I don't want to try that again. Oh, sure. I hear that often. Um, but I tell people I have lots of tools in this imaginary toolbox. And so, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But I also think that there's something to be said about making small tweaks and finding a lot of benefit from that. So oftentimes I'll encourage people, you know, to try it for a week and see if it makes any difference. Mm. And usually people can commit to that and then feel the benefit. Yeah. What, um, if you had to chalk it up, what's the one thing that we could do today as a couple that that would make the biggest impact that get that would maybe get us started into a, a health regimen. Is there one specific, simple starting activity that that just it's a no brainer? Um, that's a great question. So a simple um, suggestion that I would start with is having conversation first and foremost and and not like a long sit down but being able to just suggest 
you know, especially now going into the holidays, it's like this time people are so busy and overeating and not exercising because we're so busy. Um, but to say, hey, I, I, I think this is a great place to start. Let's put a plan in place and let's start with just moving. Mm. Um, you know, I love these things now. Everybody has this like um, track your step yeah, yeah. app on, on your phone. I <laughs> know. You know, even my kids will come home from school and say, hey, mom, I love this many steps. Oh, and it's that's like, so great. That's easy. We're just we're just walking around. And so, um, you know, even being able to go to the grocery store together as a couple, I mean, that's an activity if somebody's moving from a non-sedentary to a sedentary life. Yeah. Um, let's start with grocery shopping together and loading the cart and unloading and groceries in. And um, and so that's simple. Um and then expanding on that. Um, That's great. And start, steps. yeah, and starting with talking, you can't go wrong there. Well, Kelly, we appreciate uh, your insights there. Kelly Kitley's her name. If you go to her website, kellykitley.com, you can find out more about uh, her treatment, her programs, and also um, just get connected to this new book that's coming out, Myself, which will be released in, in December. It's a new autobiography she's written on survival. And uh, you can find out more again at kellykitley.com. We'll take a break. Go visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. But uh, first, let's take the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Holy cow. By the way, uh, little uh, Adam Sandler there. Sloppy Joe, Sloppy Joe. I love, I love Adam Sandler. And who better to lead us down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation than Adam Sandler? Let's go talk to Spencer and Jerem, find out what's going to be on their show in just a few minutes. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. Ravioli. Holy cannoli. Thank you, Jerem. Adam Sandler. Do you love Do you love Adam Sandler as well? Yeah, I can't get enough. Spencer uh, does really good. Adam Sandler. Let's hear it. Uh oh, you put me Sa- on the spot. Adam Sandler on the Cubs winning the World Series. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> that's tough. Okay, let's see. did you see the Chicago Cubs win a World Series? It was amazing. <laughs> I want the random yelling at the. It was amazing, especially at the end. It's too hot for the Chicago Cubs to be winning the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. That is good. I couldn't tell if that was really Adam oh, or if that was it. you. <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> what What do you think about that game? Holy oh, th- that's That's probably the most memorable game in mm. Major League Baseball history. Yeah. In baseball history. Because it's the Cubs. It's game seven. It's extra innings. See, for me, like, wow. for me... The it's second only to the Red Sox doing something that had never been oh, done in baseball. Cool. Yeah, coming back from a three games to none deficit and beating the Yankees. Yeah, their nemesis in yeah, the rivalry, awesome. like the nemesis. Like so, but it's second only to that. Like it was incredible. I was sitting in the basement of the Marriott Center, essentially the media room, the downstairs bowels. after the, the BYU women's basketball game. Yeah, the bowels of the Marriott Center, and watched. That home run from Rajay Davis mm-hmm. in the eighth inning to tie it at six, and I was like, "This is it's this over. is unbelievable." Yeah, I thought this right then epic. they're coming back. It's over. 
It was amazing. I was like, does, does the curse of the billy goat live on again? And then the rain delay. Mm. Woo! And then Chapman struggling. Yeah, that... Raldis Chapman hadn't given up a home run in a Cubs uniform until that one in the eighth inning. Unbelievable. <laughs> and then the, the, the delay, luckily it wasn't very long. I... The delay was great. For the Cubs, Be- it was because what they needed. It, yeah. delay- it delayed the drama. I couldn't right. get enough. So it was fun to just sit there and kind of pause for a moment. Although baseball has many natural pauses anyways. But it, it was fun to just soak that in. I mean, that was the night where it was must-see TV. The ratings were off the charts. Yeah, they were. Yeah, Unbelievable we... numbers. We'll get into the specifics of that Sweet. coming up on BYU Sports Nation. Like, just how many, what percentage of televisions, specifically in Chicago and the Cleveland markets, were turned on to the game. <laughs> did, did you hear, hear Bill Murray is was basically lobbying the mayor to ha- have no kids go to school? Two days. It should be a holiday Thursday and Chicago. Friday off. Seriously. There is another professional baseball team there, so that doesn't quite work. Yeah, I think he was thinking <laughs> of the northern half. I there are a bunch of Chicago. White Sox fans there. Sorry, on the south side. Right? <laughs> the White Sox? Uh, including do they POTUS, play there? In- President exactly. of the United States is the Chicago White Sox fan. I know. We but were you know, all Cubs fans, not named Indians fans, last night. Yeah, that was that was pretty pretty amazing. Did you guys? Do you know why? By the way, we played Adam Sandler. No. Would you like to know? Mm, no. Okay. Mister Coach Klein said I could. <laughs> well, you okay there, Spence? <laughs> no, it's Sandwich Day. Oh. Today is Sandwich Day. It's also uh, Cliche Day. Oh, that is perfect for sports. It's also and Lonesome Kicker Day. Is it? Well, that's an Adam Sandler song. Do you want to sing that? Jerem? Lonesome Kicker! <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice vibrato. That was really... You guys are quite the pair. We are very unique, aren't Strong we? Strong as an ox. <laughs> you two are. <laughs> two peas in a pod. <laughs> Something like that, right? That's right. There is I no accounting for I can't remember the last time test. I ate peas. Hey, um, what's your favorite, if you had to come up with a favorite cliche? Favorite cliche? Uh, one game at a time. Mm. That's a great cliche. Yeah, that one is really overused. By the way, you said that quick as a lick. One game at a time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm Don't trying to think me if there's one that's as used as that. <laughs> Do you ever get just uh, give it one hundred ten percent and say it already? Mm, there you go. <laughs> and you don't want Spencer. Just play your game. Just play your game. Listen, we're going to put it all on the line. See, <laughs> there are so many sports is laden with yes. cliches. Frank laden. Frank laden with cliches. But uh, but there's a point. You just got to put your foot down, don't you think? And just say no more cliches. Yes, just, yes. But just... then there are some there are some things that have become so like so common in use in sports that you they're like Is I can't a... really think of anything else. To I know say. because there's... it was the best of times and the worst of times. You know, <laughs> it th- was a tale of two halves. It was a Jerem. tale of two halves. It's cold outside, but it's warming up inside. Yeah. BYU Hoops is on the BYU Heat next. The is cold outside, but it's heating up in the Marriott Center. It's like, <laughs> no, no. Quit saying it. Oh, the Lady nice. Cougars. You guys, you guys, you might want to use these cliches on your show today. We probably use multiple every day. Cliche it up. 
There's, or we interview people that will use them for us. Yeah. Yeah. We try and avoid them, but I guarantee we say no, that, something the, every day. I, I should send Part you the, the list. I, I, we've pretty much gone through 681 cliches today. That's it's awesome. an uphill battle. Oh, yeah. That's, it that's is an sports, uphill battle. Man. That coach is up the creek without a paddle. <laughs> and until the cows come home, I mean, it never ends. They're it under ain't the gun. over till it's over. It ain't over till it's over. He's got something up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. So there are so many. Oh, yeah. It's just a vain effort. Yeah. My <laughs> my passion bucket is full. See, that's a new one. You that's can, a new one. That's a Dan Patrick one. Oh, anything you can do, I can do better. It's a great Gatorade commercial. Boy, that what voice was that? I don't and a know. Song. That was great. Hey, so uh, you're on your show. You're still going to do your show, though, right today? Mm-hmm. Anything yeah, uh, we so. need to know about? Hey, one show at a time, Matt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take one show at a time. <laughs> we take it one show at a time. We're going to celebrate this one before we move on, but uh, tomorrow morning we'll be focusing on the next one. We're zero and zero, man. We're just going for one win, and then we'll reset again. <laughs> See, you got it. You <laughs> got the, it. In the spirit of the Chicago Cubs, Matt Townsend. Yes. We are asking BYU Sports Nation, which curse do you want to see the Cougars break? Hmm. Is there a curse at all? No. no I curse. don't know. Not like the Billy Goat, but relatively speaking, that's the, what we're going there after. There are some streaks, if you don't want to buy into the whole curse ideology, there are some streaks that are rather dubious. Dubious streaks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sound like my mother. There are some dubious streaks on that wall. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Ben Cahoon, Jerem goes one-on-one with the BYU receivers coach, how he plans to get more production from his position group, and we play big deal, no deal. Mm. There's a Big Ten inclusion clause in a BYU football contract. Wait. What? <laughs> wow. Wait. I speak the truth. <laughs> the truth. That's good. That's good. Is that all you got? Is that uh, all we've got? Yeah, something like that. Paige Hunt Barker of fourth-ranked BYU women's soccer, also on the show. What are the aspirations for the ladies moving forward? And how do they feel about comparisons to the 2012 team that went to the Elite Eight? Mm. Mm. You like that? It's a good show. I do like you that. You like that? <laughs> I do, Kirk. I love that. Captain Kirk Cousins. Well, guys, it sounds like your show is snug as a bug in a rug. It certainly is. Okay, We're going to well. play the ace card and hit a home run. Hit it out of the park, man. Yeah. He Without breaking a leg. <laughs> Without breaking a leg. <laughs> Strong as an ox, you two are. <laughs> okay. Oh, Knock him dead. Day. Cliche day needs to be over now. I know. It's killing me. I've got to just wrap it up. Okay. Go have fun. And uh, remember, don't sweat blood. Okay. That's just another one. Nobody that was... makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> <laughs> Except me. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay, guys, knock them dead. Have a great show. Bye. Kill it. Knock them dead. There's another one. Ah, That's funny. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood but me. Hey, uh, if, if you're looking f- to buy a house and you don't have enough money to buy a house, let me give you a little uh, advice. You could be... Like this genius woman that scams 20 boyfriends into buying 20 iPhones in China. She gets them to fall in love with her. One by one, they buy a new iPhone for her. She talks them into that. She then resells it, cashes in, 
20 people later, she's got herself a new house. This should be Samsung instead of iPhone because these relationships just go up in flames. It's a great point. It's a great point. And now they've become old flames. But you got to be careful because you may not get your money out of the Samsung. You may just get, you know, a fire. Bet your bottom dollar that uh, none of these relationships go the mile, go the distance. That was two cliches in one sentence. Two for the price of one. Two for. So, again, you can uh, scam 20 boyfriends into buying you 20 iPhones, resell all of them, lose the boyfriends, and bada boom, bada bing, you get about approximately an $18,000 home. Maybe we ought to try this. Those phones are expensive in China. And those houses are inexpensive. The perfect combination. Hey, as we wrap up the show, you know, we always like to tell you a hero story. And today's hero risked his own life to save a 73-year-old woman trapped in her burning car. Listen to this story. Trapped in a car of flames, licking at the windscreen and smoke pouring through the dashboard, 73-year-old Ann Wade thought she was about to die. As others speed past, she tried to ho- open her car door, but it was stuck. The 73-year-old had been driving home after visiting her grandchildren in Leeds in the U.K. when the heater failed. And uh, two or three miles later, the steering and the brakes wouldn't work properly, she recalls. She managed to pull over and stop on the side of the road, but the situation was becoming more dangerous by the second. She adds the smoke started coming from under the bonnet, the hood. Then a few seconds later, the flames came out. I tried to open the doors. It wouldn't open. Anne's car's electric had, uh, electric, electrics had failed, locking the doors, trapping her inside the car. I was thinking I've had it, and uh, I'm done. Anyway, then I heard Will banging on the window. She says, William Edwards had seen Anne in the driver's seat of the burning car as he drove past. He stopped, ran over, and tried to force open the door, then attempted to smash the window with his arm. The window felt like a brick wall. My elbow uh, had just kept bouncing off, says 24-year-old Will. People were shouting, it's going to blow up, it's going to blow up. And I knew if I waited around, I might not be around much longer. Despite onlookers telling Edwards to step away as there was nothing he could do, he grabbed a wheel brace from his car, and after yelling and telling Anne to cover her face, he smashed through the window, cutting open his arm, severing, by the way, two tendons in his hand. The glass shattered with force uh, with when I hit it, and uh, anyway, by that uh, brave act, he was able to then pull her out very quickly, even though uh, he had damaged and hurt his arm. Anyway, he said he didn't give it a second thought. He would do it again. And because of that, 73-year-old Ann Wade was saved. And so our hero of the day is 24-year-old Will. No last name, just 24-year-old man that was willing to help a person out. That's a hero, folks. And you, too, can be a hero just by being there at the right time and being willing to give uh, what you can. That's the show. We'll be back tomorrow to give you more ideas, more information to help you live longer and love stronger. Until tomorrow, make it a great one.